What matters is, do you think it's bad enough that someone should go to jail for it? Can I point out a real quick irony that Bill Clinton passed the Defense of Marriage Act? We're making decisions about people's lives when the 300 people in my church service couldn't even decide how to interpret these things. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Social Discord, Episode 9, Queer as History, Part 3, Modern Trials and Tribulations and History After Stonewall. I'm your host for today's episode, Dalen Turk. I'm Kara Tebow. And I'm Curtis Medina. So today we're going to be talking about the years after Stonewall, the landmark cases that led to the equality the queer... led to the equality the queer community enjoys today and the challenges they still face in places like the workplace and the church. So to start with that, we're going to go into a Supreme Court case which actually took place before Stonewall, but it's good to point out because it was the only one that happened before Stonewall, and that is One Inc. versus Olison in 1958. Yeah, it's really important because it was actually the first time that the Supreme Court really acknowledged at all um a rights for queer people um and and they didn't necessarily do it because they were necessarily forward thinking they did it on the basis of um you know uh constitutionality um they basically uh the the court case was uh one inc was uh the first um openly gay um periodical that was that was being mailed to people i think it was on some newsstands um, and within like two months, uh, it got ripped off the shelves mm-hmm. because it was supposedly by those day standards obscene and, and you know, and, 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 and perverse. Um, and so the, the, the case basically said that it wasn't perverse or obscene just because it was gay. And that was a huge deal for the time because because it basically upheld the rights of citizens over this idea of um, of it of being gay being wrong. Do we know just for comparison, do any of you know when like Playboy magazine started? Because <laughs> I, I, I'm just curious. That's like, a good I, question. I'll t- I would uh, guess somewhere in the World War post World War II. Um, I don't know that. Um, you're, I think you're looking it up now. But yeah, I, I mean, am. if I were to make a if I were to make like a wild guess, it would probably be something like. 1959 or something 1955 somewhere in that like mid 50s range Kara, any guesses oh i'm gonna say 1961 oh you are both off it was december <laughs> 1953 so i'd be oh, I, I, over <laughs> i bring that up actually wow. because we just watched a uh I, i'm all about drunk history uh, and I'm really upset because they canceled it. I'm catching up on the show, so I'm not going to have any more to watch. But they just did an episode, um, or they did an episode a while ago. I just watched it, and it was on uh, basically this uh, uh, journalist that act or was hired on as a, a bunny, and she infiltrated the Playboy Mansion and blah, blah, But um, it just made me <laughs> curious. Um, like, And actually, it looks like, I guess, yeah, uh 1953 was the same year um of the one ink magazine and so i wonder what um like if there was a contrast of they allowed playboy which obviously they did but they didn't allow you know a quote-unquote you know homosexual magazine well i think it it was that sex wasn't the issue right but it just had to be pleasing to the majority of people and if you didn't like that then it was not okay and that we had to have supreme court cases over that 
Well, I'm not sure about it, but I, I haven't read one magazine ever. But I, I, I don't think, based on the reading I, I, I did, that it was really even like comparable to Playboy. I think it was more informational. You know, right, I don't know. Right. I think it was necessarily like erotic or anything like that. So, I mean, it was a really weird like magazine to pick on. You know, of all the things that 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 you would pick on, it was it was just weird. Well, also though, it's a magazine. If you don't like what's in it, then don't <laughs> read it. Like you have to physically. <laughs> pick it up yourself and read it in order for it to bother you which right, i guess maybe right. they just see it on the you know magazine stands and it irritates them which it, i mean they they got it out of the mail you know they stopped it from being mailed privately to people i mean that's what we were talking about you know in the previous episodes the usps was on like this mad mission to just to just prevent it from happening at all because it was perceived to be this thing that was gonna you know ruin america or whatever could you imagine people like ripping through mailboxes in America to take away all of People magazine? <laughs> that just I sounds mean, so absurd. So it should sound absurd. Oh my god. By the way, um I forgot to mention our source for um our our major source for these court cases, but it's from a uh Time, I guess it's Time still a magazine, but it's from Time. And it's nine landmark Supreme Court cases that shaped LGBTQ rights in America. It was written by Tara Law, and it's a, it's a pretty great article. And so that's where the majority of our information for these court cases came from. Um, and, and then you got to jump ahead for the next big court case, you know, I mean, to 1972. I mean, right. Was that 15, something like that, 14 years later? Um, you know, until you get the next sort of ruling. And and by this time, like America was quite different than it was in 1958. Um, you know, you already went past the civil rights era, um, or at least you were at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, th- I think, you know, Vietnam was really unpopular already, I believe, by that time. And, and so, it, you know, th- it, it was ripe for change. At this point, you're also behind the catalyst of the gay rights movement, Stonewall. So now it's. Right up front within american politics yeah so the next one is is um is baker versus nelson 1972 uh supreme court uh considered the issue of marriage equality for the first time so you know that's that's (laughs) an interesting jump going from can we have our own magazine and then you know 14 years later it's like oh hey can we be married yeah, I mean, I guess basically nobody had really questioned it that much before that. And then when people started questioning it, you know, they, they felt they needed to rule. And they actually dismissed the case um, for want of, of a substantial federal question, which is super sad. <laughs> what does th- I have no <laughs> idea what that, that means. Mean? It means that um, the court doesn't think that it's that it's imperative for them to, to make a ruling. And they do that. Like, oh. like, even though you hear a lot about like the court ruled this, the court ruled that the vast majority of cases that go before the court end with them saying that phrase, basically come back later with more need. So yeah, basically it's not important for us to rule on right now. Yeah. Which um, I guess at the, at-, at the time, like within society, maybe like that they, saw that justifiable because i guess maybe people weren't out as much yeah and to be fair um you know it it probably would have failed it probably would have done nothing but make it worse um if they had ruled on it so you know Mm -hmm. so it's probably better that they just said you know maybe later kind of a thing um after that bowers versus hardwick 1986 uh, quote, the LGBTQ rights movement was dealt a major blow when the court decided to uphold Georgia sodomy law in 1986. 
Um, the sodomy laws in the different states varied quite a bit, but they they were a major hurdle um, for for people, particularly gay people, um, to get over because because it was something very specific to gay life that um, you know could land you in prison. And and even though in the U.S. we didn't usually jail people just for being gay, you could jail somebody for sodomy laws, and that was mostly. Um, men with men, although there are a lot of cases as well of, of you know, just say a straight couple having, getting caught doing that or something like that. It, mm-hmm. It's just it's the idea of the U.S. government or any government being involved in the sexual encounters of two consenting adults is so creepy and big brother and like 1980 that, that it, I mean, it literally was 1980, but it's so, it's creepy. It, we, I can't, when we look back at it now, we're like, what were they thinking? Yeah. And, and, you know, we have to do a special asterisk with this one because uh, this is the only time the Supreme Court ruled on anything during the AIDS epidemic. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and, and, and I like, I put, I put together a lot of the notes for these episodes. And one of the things I actually really tried to avoid was the AIDS epidemic, just because it's so well covered and everything else that I feel like there's a million movies you can watch about it. But but to put it in context with this case, um, basically under the feeling that gay people were deserving of death because they were doing something anti-moral, um, a lot of conservative people thought that um, that basically AIDS was God's way of like striking them down or something like that. Really gross way of looking at it. Um, and, uh, and so even though maybe the Supreme court didn't necessarily feel that way, it also, it definitely changed their view of, of gay people as it did in a lot of, for a lot of people in the country. And it was a real setback for, for gay people because, um, they were kind of full steam ahead. And then, and then this happened and they were dealing with mass death happening all around them. Um, an entire generation of people you know, died. And, and so many of them were gay, but not all of them were gay, but so many of them were gay. Um, and the quote here, um, uh, the, the person in the time article, um, like really drove home a sadness that was felt right then because they said, uh, Karen Lowey, uh, senior counsel, um, which uh, fights for LGBTQ legal rights, told the Times that the court made a special effort to make clear that the case applied to LGBTQ people, despite the fact that the law didn't refer to genders of people involved. Mm-hmm. Quote, the court went out of its way to make clear that gay people could be criminalized under these provisions and that there was nothing wrong with that. The court actually turned it into an inquiry about same-sex intimacy where the statute wasn't even that specific. And it really labeled LGBTQ people as criminals in every sense. Employers would fire people and say, well, it has nothing to do with who you are. It has to do with the fact that you're a criminal. And so it was a law that didn't even necessarily need to include gay people, but they actually went out of their way to make the point that it should. And that was terrible for that whole movement. Well, and the the Supreme Court's justification for their opinion, I guess their opinion, was literally that, well, if states have laws about this, then, like, it's it's criminal. Like, it's criminalized sodomy. And so, like, who are we to say that laws can't do that, basically? And they, like you said, they made it 
very clear that it wasn't about the sexual act itself. It was about the fact that it was a man and a man. Yeah, it was really meant to be a roadblock. It was meant to be you're getting too much, you know, um, power to do to be who you are, and we don't like that. We're gonna put a big roadblock up for you to make it even more difficult. And by the After way, that, um, okay, just real quick, that quote you're saying that was from uh, Karen Lowy Lowy, um, yeah, senior counsel at Lambda Legal, which fights for LGBTQ legal rights. Yeah. And then after that, you have to go all the way to 2003 um, before it really comes up again. So 86 mm-hmm. to 2003, uh, the next major court case, uh, this was Lawrence versus, versus Texas. Um, quote, the court ultimately uh, eliminated sodomy laws in 2003. So just imagine that those were actually on the books in your parents' lifetime or in your lifetime. Um, you know, that was on the books, mm-hmm. um, in a lot of States and it was not overturned until 2003, but it was overturned by a vast majority with a vote of six to three. Justice Kennedy delivered the opinion saying that the due process clause of the 14th amendment gave the petitioners quote, the full right to engage in private conduct without government intervention. The Texas statute fur- furthers no legitimate state interest, which can justify its intrusion into the individual's personal and private life. I mean, and, you know, you know, bless that, you know, I mean, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> yep. I mean, basically, it's all kinds of things. Basically, it's saying the government has no right to say what a human can or cannot do in their bed. Well, yeah, if you have two consenting adults, the government doesn't get to then tell you what to do because that's creepy. <laughs> yeah, that's creepy. I want to point out to you, and Curtis, you you said when you went into Lawrence v. Texas, you know, it's 2003, this case was decided. And, you know, you these crazy, you know, sodomy laws that barely anyone could believe are real was alive in 2003. And we talked about, you know, all these weird old laws like, oh, you know, you can't. You know, ride your horse to a bar or you, know, you can't catch a fish on Sunday and then cook it, you know, whatever, all these weird, crazy laws. And I think, you know, for this instance, you know, we joke about all these weird laws that mean nothing, but it kind of goes to show why our justice system and why our laws really need to be looked at and updated. Because up until 2003, people could be prosecuted for, you know, sodomy and granted it was definitely targeted to you know people of the LGBTQ community, but the fact that there were laws against this in 2003 is just wild. And so we I desperately just, need to look at the justice system. And we just even that word to. choice, like calling it sodomy, was like very intentional. That's a very like derogative word for something, and it's like a perversion. Um, it's you know, we we just call yeah, it biblical. sex. Some people like two adults get to do that, and so that was very <laughs> intentional. And um, yeah, crazy. 2003, not that long ago. Yeah, and you know, and the next the next law actually uh, talks about something that I think we should probably fill in for a lot of people who weren't alive at the time or didn't know about it. The whole, um, you know, don't ask, don't tell thing that mm-hmm. was that was uh, signed into law during Bill Clinton's time, um, and and this uh, and this law DOMA DOMA Defense of Marriage Act, which was also signed into law by Bill Clinton. You know, so like a lot of time, you know, so a lot of the say Democrats, you know, in 2016 when they were pushing Hillary Clinton as as the go-to person and they just didn't understand why people couldn't get super excited about Hillary Clinton, it was because they had a lot of baggage. And one of the things that they had 
was DOMA. And, uh, you know, I mean, that was something that was signed by her husband that, you know, at the time Hillary Clinton supported. Can I, can I point out a real quick irony that Bill Clinton passed the Defense of Marriage Act, and he's the most, (laughs) like, his presidency is the most well-known sex scandal in American political history, and he passed the Defense of Marriage Act. I mean, if anyone would know, I guess it'd be him. That's that's fair. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it'd be like Trump passing the Anti-Casino Act or something. I don't know. Right. (laughs) I do do want to point something out really quickly as well. Um, this is not a sweeping generalization blanket of, of all of Europe, but for a lot of like places in Western Europe and other countries as well, they find places like America where we consider ourselves like so liberated and progressive. They find it very, very weird how involved we are like with our politician sex life or with our citizen sex life. It's, it's very strange to other people looking in. And so it's definitely a weird American culture around like sex and politics that not necessarily every developed country follows. Um, an interesting american issue here we Might go one good thing about trump too you know that i mean you know the fact that that republicans have no problem with trump's divorces and womanizing and the thing he says and all that like you know maybe maybe that time in american you know america of criticizing people who don't have perfect marriages or whatever maybe it's over i don't know maybe that's the one good part of of uh of the trump presidency yeah, fair enough here's a uh here's another uh <laughs> Aaron Sorkin plug for the West Wing. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just about done with it. I have like two episodes left. It's been off for 25 years, Dalen. They're not going to sponsor us. <laughs> I can keep trying. <laughs> but there's a scene at the end of the show, spoilers, where Matt Santos, he's running for president, and footage gets leaked of his hotel room where he and right. his wife are having sex and they, you know, subsequently break the bed and you know they're like why does this matter why is anyone and everyone's like this is the big story like of course people are going to watch this and pay attention to this and talk about this it's american politics half of it is gossip yeah that's true i mean and and i mean even though i was a kid you know when when it happened with bill clinton i mean i didn't care i i I remember thinking like like what does this have to do with anything like i mean it's like i'm not really for it but at the same time like just run the country. Well, you know, I don't care. So <laughs> French Curtis. <laughs> so, so coming up next, uh, United States versus Windsor. Uh, that's 2013. So we're getting into very modern times. Um, uh, quote, this case was one of the major precursors to marriage equality. Uh, the court decided to eliminate the portion of uh, the portion of the Defense of Marriage Act, which was the one signed by Bill Clinton of 1996, that defined marriage as a legal union between one man and one woman as husband and wife. Uh, the case considered the situation of Edith Windsor and Thea Spire, who were married in Canada before moving to New York, a state that recognized uh, their marriage. After Spire passed away, Windsor's attempt, attempts to claim tax exemption for surviving spouses only or were blocked by DOMA, um, and so they sued the government. Good for them. Um, in a in a in a five five to four vote, so a one vote difference, which is super important. You know, going into twenty twenty, you know, if, if vote for no, if for nothing else, but to make sure that the next time the Supreme Court um, is chosen, which is probably going to be soon, with with uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, getting up there in years, uh, that one vote difference makes all the difference in the world. And you're going to find that over and over again with things like gay marriage and stuff like that. But yeah, in a five four vote. 
um, the Supreme Court ruled that DOMA violated due process and equal protection principles and ordered the United States to refund Windsor's taxes. Yeah, <laughs> quote. They, the IRS billed her $363,000. Wow. Yeah. How <laughs> wild is that? <laughs> and I mean, insult to injury too. You're already a grieving spouse. You know I mean? If, if anyone is, has, has enough anger to sue the government and follow it all the way through, it's somebody like that who's already went through hell, you know, and you're, and you're just rubbing it in, uh, you know, trying to make their marriage seem less than, you know, than equal to somebody else. One of the Supreme Court justices basically said, you know, on like the law does not necessarily protect, you know, marriage laws do not protect love. They protect Social Security. They protect, you know, taxes. They protect all this stuff. So they're like, yeah, people can be lovey-dovey, but that's not what these laws are protecting and they just and so that's how they used to justify well it should be between a you know a man and a woman it's not about love and i it's i mean it's a whole thing and we'll get into it here in a bit sure no you're totally right but i mean is, I, I, this is a great example argued, of that that's what i argued when you know when when all this was going on uh, with people was you know like even if you're even if you're totally anti you know lgbt like it doesn't matter and you know like like they should be protected equally you know right. mm-hmm. um and thing and all the boring things all the you know things like <laughs> like being able to you know see your your partner in the hospital you know it's like mm-hmm. like how how uh, spiteful do you have to be in your beliefs to like to block somebody from that just because they're the same sex i mean it's just i don't know it's it's another 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 level of cold i know i would um, i i really yeah, yeah. like people who don't believe in you know, gay marriage. I I just, I really want to ask them, like people who really do not think a man should not marry a man, a woman should not marry a woman. Like, what if there was a law that said, you know, you cannot marry your significant other? Like, how would you feel? And they, of course, they'll say, well, you know, whatever their justification, probably using I'm, I I would assume something from the Bible. Yeah. Um, but I. I just can't imagine someone would react and be like, well, if that's the law, you know? Yeah. I, think it's I mean, hard to argue with religion too, because if you believe that your belief is the difference between going to heaven and going to hell, that's, it's, it's so difficult to change somebody's opinion on that. Um, and so I'm glad mm-hmm. we're going to talk about it a little bit later in the podcast too. I always say it doesn't matter if you agree with whatever law it is. What matters is, do you think it's, bad enough that someone should go to jail for it yep like and you know, believe that we should have freedom in this country yeah should people have the right to do what they want to do and i believe that answer is yes yeah i mean you know i mean like you know marijuana marijuana legalization say you think it's the devil you think it's terrible but does that mean that you want you know your son or daughter going to jail for it, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense um and and most things don't i mean mo- most laws like these when you really get down to it the, the the punishment is so much worse than whatever crime is supposedly taking oh, yeah. place um then so then you got jumped forward to 2015 um here we Ob- go Burge fell versus hodges <laughs> you're talking about that right it's um, I mean, o-b-e-r-g-e-f-e-l-l obergfell that sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, and you got to be really careful because, I mean, this is so recent. You know, these people right. are still alive. I mean, you know, they like I, I was just reading a, a paper of, of, of uh, 
uh, of like a, an event that happened a few years ago and they actually invited them to this pride event, you know, to, to mm-hmm. like, just to meet them or whatever. So, I mean, they're, they're alive and they're still touring and, you know, so yeah, they might mm-hmm. actually listen to this. And ultimately the reason this case one is so important and we want to get right is because it led to one of the, I mean, the biggest victory within the movement, which was marriage. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was, it was such an important thing because, because I think, I think the queer people, I think they needed the legitimacy of the law. Um, you know, they knew that they were in love with these people. A lot, a lot of them had been in relationships, monogamous relationships, yeah, monogamous relationships of for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years already, you know, I mean, it, it, they weren't going to change nothing, you know, I mean, that, that was who they were with, but, but having it officially recognized was, was a big deal. Um, and so again, five to four vote again, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, not there might not have happened. We might still be living in a country that, you know, didn't mm-hmm. uh, allow gay people to marry RBG lesbians to marry. Yeah. Um, you know, so again, vote <laughs> because the president is the person that assigns the Supreme Court justices. Have you guys seen that that thing going around? It's like if you don't like Trump and you don't like Biden, remember that you're voting for who the next Supreme Court justice is, because most yeah. likely that's what's going well, to happen. It's and like didn't it's the number one thing. Didn't Donald Trump just put out his list of like 20 like options? And I think Ted Cruz is one of them. <laughs> if the killer becomes the next Supreme Court justice, I will lose oh, my mind. We are not about to I spread that conspiracy. Anyway. Oh my god. Uh but yes, I don't know. The Supreme I mean, Court that, is that, very important. Yeah. It is, it is. But um, it's actually so- it was in this case actually where um so Justice Kennedy said it is demeaning to lock same sex couples out of a central institution of the nation's society, for they too may aspire to the transcendent purposes of marriage, to which Merrill, who I guess is Merrill was what Merrill a uh, Supreme Court justice at the time or uh, someone who's involved in this sounds case. right but it i'm actually not sure. it doesn't clarify it just says merrill um, but it says merrill argues that while she personally values the emotional aspect of matrimony getting married in the united states is considered to be a legal status says she says uh or he or she i'm not sure at the end of the day it's a social security benefits it's survivor benefits it's health care it's super unromantic so basically <laughs> marriage like yeah it's you know matrimony it's only matrimony it's lovey-dovey but in the end it's a legal status recognized by the country and it should you know it shouldn't take love into consideration for law my favorite part about this was you know like people fought since the beginning of you know the queer movement uh for marriage equality but but like just like de facto along with the passing of gay marriage was gay divorce (laughs) 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 like like, there was a joke that like a comedian said like like you know like let them get married like like we won't let them get divorced and you know (laughs) but like it just i loved how like like nobody argued about gay divorce (laughs) with one (laughs) comes the other yeah (laughs) um but yeah uh you know really close um opinion uh but it but it did pass and and it struck down every state's uh, laws that were preventing it, including uh, one that was in California. Um, it was like prop eight or something like that. Um, and, uh, and it just, and it made it legal in every state at once, mm-hmm. which was crazy because some states were more ready than others. Some states had fought more than others. 
Um, you know, so, but it never would have happened in a lot of states like South Carolina, for example, like probably Texas, that, you know, unless it was made a federal law. And that's, that's, that was really important. Um, and then uh, in 2020, this year, um, the court uh, determined that firing an employee for being gay, lesbian, or transgender was actually a violation of Title VII of the Civil Rights Act from 1964, which prohibited discrimination on the basis of sex. And what's really important about that is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her her claim to fame before becoming a Supreme Court justice was that she actually changed the, the law um, back when she was a lawyer, um, where uh, basically making the Supreme Court admit that you could not discriminate on the basis of sex. Um, and so it was really interesting that her career is going to be capped off by, by a law that, that used that same argument and extended it um, from civil rights to gender to sexuality. And it's just, I mean, it's just a perfect kind of end to that career. When, when I was reading through these notes and I got to the end of the court cases, you know, this one saying that you can't be, fired from your job i like immediately pulled up google and started typing madly because i was like there's no way this didn't happen until 2020 like i i 100 thought this was already like put into place and it's nope. it's, it's <laughs> i can't believe that it wasn't like yeah um, but we we talked about this in four more episodes as well but, but this is so important and it was such a landmark case but there is still a lot of work to be done on the loopholes that allow, sure. especially in states like Texas, like an, uh, a right to work state, employers the ability to fire someone for any reason because they can fire you under you know under whatever they want, um, but it could be because they're discriminating. So, such a great start. A lot more loopholes to close, but mm-hmm. this is. I feel like we're we're slowly getting there. We're getting there. You know, to me, the- this always matters more with the companies that are bigger. Like, I mean, I think it matters, but at the same oh, time, right. like, I, I, I do understand somebody is uncomfortable with it or something. I mean, I don't know. I probably shouldn't say that, but I do, I do understand if somebody's uncomfortable with it, they might not want to say hire in the, to begin with a queer person or, or, you know, or isn't comfortable with, for whatever reason, them being around them or whatever. And I don't like the idea of forcing people to be progressive. Like I always just want people just to be good people but hopefully, if you're, if you're hiring on the basis of like work ethic yeah. and like someone's like capability, then yeah, I don't know. It shouldn't I would, matter. I would yeah. hope so. But I hear what you're saying like, but cause also like as an employee, I don't want to be in an uncomfortable workspace if someone doesn't believe with my quote unquote lifestyle, AKA who I am and who I choose to love. So right, mm-hmm. yeah, I, can, I can see how that would be uh more on this whole- it's important though on the bigger the bigger companies because like i think dalen mentioned in another episode that like like the company that you guys were either working for in the past i can't remember which company it was but sent out like a um you know a, a letter or whatever saying that they intended to be very like fair about you know mm. um, hiring um gay and lesbian people or you know or queer people um and uh, and and that makes such a big difference with those kind of companies because it puts it on the radar for them that, you know, maybe they weren't even intentionally trying to be uh, exclusive, exclusivatory or whatever, but, uh, but that they, but they now see that it's important and even in the law that, that they should try to include a wider variety of people. Mm-hmm. And ultimately this idea of, you know, within the workplace feeling uncomfortable plays into other aspects and we'll go into it later of how, you know, the company, how employees treat customers. And we'll go into it in a bit, like the cake debate, you know, the cake decorator who decided that he wasn't going to make a wedding cake for a gay couple. 
Um, but right. and it's it's you know we we're going into this episode of you know talking about the struggles that queer people still go through and a big place that they go through those struggles is the workplace. Um, but yeah. one thing I wanted to say Do you too. You want to talk about it? I mean, we can talk about it now, even though it's later in the notes. I think you, I think you're right. I think it actually um, might. Sure, go we can go into it. Um, I just wanted to say one thing first. Um, uh, with the in the 2015 case of um, Ogrefell and Hodges, um, I remember seeing when they when the case was decided it was one, and I saw it on the news. And you know, at the time, I still hadn't like I was still really honestly quite ignorant of. Um, queer issues and you know just queer peoples and like I you know I was progressive and whatnot but I still I just had a lot to learn at the time still but I remember seeing on the news they had one of the main um, people fighting um, within the um, 14 uh, queer couples and he you know he lost his um, job and maybe I'm thinking something different uh, but anyways he you know he spent um, like six years of his life, he, you know, lost like all of his money, you know, lost his house, all this stuff. And by the end, just for this one thing. And I, at the time, you know, I, I couldn't imagine like something so like important that you would basically throw away your life to win this case. And I'm like, it's, it's literally like your rights as a human being that you're fighting for. And at the time, like I, I guess I didn't really grasp that, and then I saw that news interview, and it hit me. I was like, "Oh wow! Like this is, like this is life." Um, so mm-hmm. it's it was pretty interesting to see the impact, like from somebody, not just like, "Oh hey, this is a court case," and they want it. It was like seeing like their faces. It was it was pretty impactful to watch. Yeah, and and guess what? Straight marriage did not implode. You know, I mean, we didn't. Right. We did not. You know, the country did not burn down. Like after, society's after values did not go backwards. Nope. We just we just allowed more people to love each other. It, it, yeah, it was it was crazy how long it even took. I mean, it always takes, you know, five times as long as it should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All these things. Um, but yeah, why don't we go ahead and talk about the cake debate? Uh, yeah, so because it, I mean, it was another Supreme Court ruling. Um, we just had it later it on within the show. So. Um, Supreme Court ruled in uh, uh, seven to two that a Colorado baker who refused to bake cake, um, bake a cake for a gay couple celebrating their marriage based off of um, his religious objection. It went against his religious values and the court decided in his favor, basically saying that we cannot that they couldn't put their you know, right to marriage over um, his, you know, right to practice his religion and go by, you know, his religious ideologies just because it went against theirs. Right. I mean, it had a lot more to do with with religious liberty than it did with with gay marriage. Um, But, um, you know, I know I brought this up in the past um, about the law that finally struck down um, segregation in private businesses, um, saying that it was, um, unconstitutional that the products that pass between States or whatever that, um, that go to the places that you say eat at a restaurant or something, um, are, 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 you know, they cross state lines. So it becomes a federal issue. Therefore they can say that, that it's bad for the economy to, uh, to say that this person can eat here, but this other person can't. And the sad thing with this law or with this ruling was 
if you if you claim your religious liberty entitles you to be prejudiced against somebody that you don't like, it, it, it's it's scary because had they thought to use that that um, argument in the '60s when they were trying to desegregate um, private businesses we could still be living in an America where, you know, black people use this door, white people use this door. And like, I don't, I, like, I, I wish that the, the ruling had been a lot more limited and, and did not stand up quite as much for religious liberty to be prejudiced. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a very tricky topic and also a slippery slope because on one end you are protecting people's religious liberty, but on the other end, you're protecting other people from having somebody else's religious liberty th- thrust upon them. Like the choice is literally either someone gets a right to quote unquote, you know, practice whatever they believe, but that means that they can then force that on other people and it can impact them. And that's really tough. That's not easy to argue, especially in a court of law where everything is, you know, way more convoluted than that. And basically what justice Anthony Kennedy went on to say was that, the so it was the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, and they showed animus towards Phillips, specifically him, when um, they were suggesting basically that he was using his religious freedom to justify his discrimination. And it's it's such a like it's such a fine line because it's like okay, well, tech tech technically yeah, like it's his you know it's his religion and his religion does not agree with gay marriage, but then also it's you know discriminating based off of sex it's it's just such a and and i wonder if they decided in favor of um phillips more so too because maybe religion has been you know instilled within american society for longer so therefore it's you know a, a stronger basis i don't know yeah it, um there's also this thing about like the separation of you and your personal beliefs and your business, you know, like, like it's one thing if it's in your house or, you know, if it's part of your personal life, you should have the freedom to say, no, this isn't part of my religion, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, but, but what, but just because like you're religious and you own Hobby Lobby or something like that doesn't mean (laughs) that like, that like, you know, Hobby Lobby is now a religious institution. It's not, you're a religious person that runs a business, you know, it it doesn't make the business itself religious. Well, it's interesting Uh, too, because Philip said, um, I think it was in a news article. Um, and actually might be the same one. It's a CNN article. It is Supreme Court rules for Colorado Baker in same sex wedding cake case. Um, it's written by Ariana DeVogue. Uh, but basically, Philip said to them, he said, you know, I'll bake you any other type of baked good. I'll bake you another cake. But he didn't want to bake a wedding cake because he didn't believe in the marriage of two men. And so yeah. it was literally the fact that it was a wedding cake that he had disagreed mm-hmm. with. He would have made them a birthday cake. Which, like, come on. Like, okay, fine. We're going to call it a birthday cake. We'll go ahead and put the groom topper on there. Like, what? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I definitely, like, I, I, this is showing my moderate side. Like, you know, from like from the other perspective, I think as the gay people, it's like, I wouldn't want to be made a cake by somebody that, yeah. that had felt that strongly against me. So like, I probably would have just turned the other cheek and been like, okay, I will go 
anywhere else and they won't have a problem with this, you know, but like, I know they kind of want to make a point out of it, which I think is why yeah. a lot of things yep. get, you know, get taken to Supreme court. But, mm-hmm. but I don't know at the same time, like, like, I don't know. It, it's his business, you know, right. I mean, literally his business, his place of business or whatever, you know, I, I don't like the idea of forcing people to do things that they don't want to do. But the, the reality is that everybody at work does things that they don't want to do, serves people that they really don't want to serve, you know, and, uh, and, and not that many people cite, you know, God as a reason they don't have to serve you. What? I guess that the thing too, from, from what I understand is they, they, it's not like this, they were having to make something special. Like they already made wedding cake. So it was a re- like, a, it's a refusal to serve a good that you already do. I think it's a very different story for like, Hey, can you customize and make me this? And, but like, I know that you don't normally make it, but can you make it special for us? It's like, no, we don't, that's not what we do. We don't we'll support that or believe in it or whatever. But you already make wedding cake, so you were refusing to provide a service. But Curtis, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think that was a big argument too of people saying, "Well, then just go somewhere else. Why would you want to put up with that?" And their point was because it is a point we have to make. So it's, yeah, that was that's such a good example that we're talking about because it is so. I wish it was black and white, but it's not. It's not at all. Oh, no. What What were you guys' thoughts when, um, you know, this story broke out, and of course, it's it was kind of the beginning of what today people call cancel culture. Um, but what did y'all think when people all of a sudden started saying, you know, boycott this bakery, like don't go to this bakery. <laughs> like do, was I, I, I personally don't think that was fair to Phillips. Um, just because he, like he was following his faith. He was following his ideologies. I don't think, you know, yeah, I don't I mean, think it's you, fair to you turn them into him. a martyr as well. Even if you don't, mm-hmm. even if you don't agree yeah. with the business or whatever, if you do a boycott on the level of like, you know, a GoFundMe kind of thing, like a, you know, national like thing, it, you definitely, uh, give them more power than they ought to have for that opinion. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I like, I, I was kind of laugh when I, when I see in a comment, like somebody like yelling in all caps boycott, you know, like no matter what, <laughs> no matter which side or whatever I happen to be on and whatever issue it is, it's kind of a, it's kind of a childish thing to, to, to just sort of yell, over something like this, you know, it's, right. I think you have to be much more selective. Um, like I, I have a, I have a family member, it's a big Trump supporter. And, uh, and, it, and it made me laugh because, because, you know, like, so recently, uh, the NBA did the thing where they, they refused to play a game, um, because, um, because the black lives matter, um, issue wasn't being like, you know, fairly, um, considered or whatever by, right. by a lot of, a lot of the, um, the fans or what by a lot of, you know, say people in America and, and my, uh, my family member made me laugh. Cause, cause the next day, like he was, you know, typing on something I wrote, like, like I'm not watching, you know, any sports now, oh, like, I know. Um, you know, like, like except golf, <laughs> <laughs> except golf, because of course Trump plays golf, but like, but yeah, I mean, you know, like, like of all, like, you know, the, I don't know. I don't know if I have it in the notes for today, but, but, you know, but the, um, the Gillette thing with like the toxic mas- masculinity and like mm-hmm. everyone was like boycott Gillette or whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, like, you know, like you get to a point where you're boycotting everything. Like, you know, right. like, like you're going to have to live like a, like a monk or something, you know, because, because everything is going to be off limits because they had an opinion, you know? So, you know, I don't know. You, my, my do friend, it if you feel important. We literally had a, argued about this the other day it was a there's a certain restaurant chain that may or may not have be in the news frequently for you know 
I don't actually know the, the facts the best on it, but for, you know, not necessarily supporting the gay community and for giving money to resources that did the opposite. But we were arguing about something and uh, we were, she was like, you just, you, nobody can go there. And I was like, okay, no, I totally believe in voting with your dollars, but also like then take off your Nike shorts, then take off this. <laughs> like, where does it, it is so hard to make ethical decisions these days. And I, I do worry that cancel culture is like so quick to judge, but then also then what are we supposed to do? And I think voting with your dollars is super important, but I think maybe to take it to the top a little bit more, like cancel culture puts the onus on individual citizens who are making, you know, hourly wages to enact social change on their own. But these decisions need to be aided from the top down. And we can't just pretend like, Oh, well all these like citizens, they, they're just not coming together to like, you know, kumbaya. No, there's policies in place that are, hindering our ability to move forward with social progress so like also let's focus it on the people who can actually make the change mm-hmm. and not blame each other that's true and i mean and with corporations too it, it it really complicates things because um you know you you might you might hear a story um about you know let's say one chain was anti this or anti that but it doesn't mean that everybody who owns that chain is right is ag- exactly. against those things um, you know, and, and I think so you Chick-fil-A get, like, is a great uh, example. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chick, I, you know, I don't have all the facts in front of me, but, but I know that Chick-fil-A is sort of a complicated one. It's so complicated. Yeah. yeah. Like they, they definitely have like given, I think it was the CEO or something had given money to anti-gay. Um, it was a conversion camp in Africa. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. And I think if I remember right, I think it was, it was like part of a, I think they basically gave it to a church. And one of the things the church did was a conversion camp. And yeah. so like, you know, the question becomes, did they do it because, because of that viewpoint? Did they do it without knowledge of that viewpoint? Right. You know, is that a good enough reason to just never eat there again? You know, it's, 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 it is a little bit more complicated than simply some like the Ollie's case back in the sixties where they just, you know, they just didn't allow black people inside like that. Like that is right. much more like straightforward. You know, it was one owner, one place, a law, a stupid rule that, that nobody liked um, or nobody progressive, I guess, liked. Um, and, uh, and that was an easier way to boycott. But yeah, when you're talking about like these corporations or whatever, you know, really like it, it, it depends on how much they're putting that opinion out there and how much people are kind of digging in order to find those, those, ways that they're supporting something they don't they don't agree with mm-hmm. um you know for me like hobby lobby was a was a lot more of a of a better example because they actually as a company decided not to or to to sue the government over the the um the right not to give their employees health care just in case they might use it for an abortion which oh i don't God. think it was even part of it yeah so you know as a company they did that and they made a big stink about it and uh, and i think they won actually i think they, wow. don't, they didn't have to um, allow um, obamacare or whatever and so yeah you know that was a lot more of a direct action versus you know like i said like i think it was, there was a story of like like a an individual franchiser or something that was like a, a big supporter of, you know, Trump or something. And then there was like an anti-Trump movement about like, you know, don't go to any more of this franchise. And, you know, I remember pointing out like, that's one, he owns like, he owns like 10, 10 of these franchises and there's like a thousand of them in the country. Like you're hurting more people than you're, you're thinking of. 
All right. Anyway, but we gotta get we gotta yeah. get back to. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move on. So let's uh, let's look at some important figures of the first wave of fighters. So we're gonna start off with Christine Jorgensen, who is known as the um, first American transgender woman to actually have a sex reassignment surgery. No, it, no, that's not right. To become widely known, it actually widely she, known. Um, I apologize. Yeah, she was not the first, but it was well, the, the most, first uh, American, the first correct? I don't even think that's true. Um, I, but um, but I, it was it was the important thing about her is that she became a celebrity for it, and it was so. Whereas the other ones, it was sort of like it might have been in a scientific paper okay, or something so like yeah, that. It was the it first was like American. They her all over the place. So yeah, um, and so I'm reading this article. It's from the National World War II Museum in New Orleans, and it's um, from GI Joe to GI Jane, Christine Jorgensen's story, which is not. Okay, it's a questionable title, um, but it's so yeah. It says um, became the first American transgender woman to attain fame for having a sex assignment surgery. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I mean it's it was very interesting because so um, Christine Jorgensen um, served it for the U.S. Army in World War II, um, and I think it was and it, they kind of go into saying it that. You know, she was at the time not ridiculed, at least to begin with, for her um, sex reassignment surgery because, you know, it's a veteran and she had all these, you know, traits that were valued within the American system. And so when, you know, she went to ended up going to Europe for um, her surgery and came back, she really wasn't met with the ridicule that she was expecting to begin with. Well, she and she, she was kind of idolized because it turned she she was like the perfect example of what you would want to be if you changed your sex. Right. And, you know, I mean, like the, the other the other great, uh, greater, I guess, in, entertaining art, uh, headline was XGI becomes blonde beauty. You know, like, <laughs> right. Like, I mean, she was beautiful. Long, uh, long hair and Jenner, probably, you know, long blonde hair, you know, long toned legs like. <laughs> yeah and it, it's interesting too because um you know she was idolized and really was met with you know pretty like good treatment when she came back but then it was figured out that and especially she kind of came under fire with you know feminist groups and um some members of the lgbtq uh, community and it's kind of you know the argument that um jk rowling had where you know they figured out um she had her um, male genitals taken away, but um, or removed, but she didn't have a vagina. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, so it's not she is a transgender woman. It became he is a oh, what's the word they used? Um, uh, so unfortunately, she did not receive surgical created vagina until years later when she was back in the United States before. Um, um, oh God, what is the word? Um, but basically they, rather than a transgender woman, they looked at her as a disfigured man, um, because she didn't have female genitalia yet. Well, I mean, so, some people did, and it was, it was a little bit of a, of a kind of like a shock story, I guess, maybe like a, a little bit more legitimate than sort of a tabloid. Um, but, but, uh. But what was really significant about Jorgensen um, was that they added, in addition to um, the uh, the sex change, 
they they added female hormones yeah, um, estrogen to it, which really helped form her into sort of the ideal uh, female body. That was that was really like a it was a big jump forward because it it showed sort of like like how you could not just not just be so somewhat in the middle, but also like go toward your goal of being more feminine on a biological level. And she actually, didn't she go on to be um, a fairly successful actress? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't have a list of the things she, she did, but yeah. Um, and, and they did, they had the Christine Jorgensen story that was in like the, I think believe like the seventies with a, um, oh, oh shoot. It wasn't Farrah Fawcett. It was um, Karen Black, something like that. Um, anyway, but it was, it was uh, even in the seventies and eighties, and like it was, it was being talked about as this sort of like, like on, on a more glamorous level, not a, as not the typical like depressed person, like trying to be something they're not like it was more right. glamorous, like, like this is somebody becoming who they are. And it was a, it, it really was a huge jump forward. Uh, like a, a kind of, I mean, one of the first examples within, you know, fame within the public eye of this is, you know, they're obviously much happier now than they were before. Yeah, that was, it was what they wanted not mm-hmm. something that they that they you know were were doomed to or something you know it was it really was a, a big jump mm-hmm. so, and then uh so in, yeah or, sorry go ahead yeah no i was gonna say uh jerry oh boy jerry de greek and nancy weschler yeah uh, they so something that really surprised me when i was researching this was was how early the the um a, a first openly um gay and lesbian uh people were that were elected um to office we're, we're in. So in Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan, uh, de, de, yeah, what do you said? Degreek <laughs> and <Yeah>. Weschler, um, <laughs> uh, uh, both were elected in 1972 and they came out while they were serving in the city council yeah. council. Uh, Weschler was replaced on the city council by Kathy Kozach Inko. Kozachenko. Kozachenko, uh, who, who, but in this, this was even a, more important, I think, uh, who openly ran as a lesbian and won in 1974, becoming the first openly gay person to win office at, mm. after first coming out. And that was huge. I mean, think about, you know, we always think of like a lot of the first uh, being, you know, say San Francisco or something, you know, uh, in much later in the 70s and then a lot more like lately. But, um, but yeah, but this was 1974 and 1972 in, in Michigan. Well, and the Greek and Weschler only came out I think it was six months before Kathy Kozachenko ran for council. And Kathy was also at the time only a student at UM. And I think it was her professor, I think it was, who was like, hey, you should run and you should run as openly lesbian. And she was like, okay. And then she won. Uh, But and I think I believe that was the only she was in it. um, The council for I think it was two years. And that was the only public office she ever held. Um, but they, she was, you know, this young progressive and they were actually part of the, um, both, um, or all three of them, Kathy Kozachenko, Nancy Weschel and Jerry DeGreek were all part of the, I think it was the, the human rights party and which eventually, um, kind of morphed and became part of the, um, socialist party of Michigan. Interesting. Uh, but next on the list, uh, we have Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, which we uh, discussed quite a bit during our episode on Stonewall. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the, the things I was just hearing today in a video about trans people is that uh, these two, Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, are, are a, lo a lot of times really kind of um, kind of passed over, not included in, in sort of the original activists that were part of the Stonewall riots. Mm -hmm. um, and it's and it's sort of they feel like it's almost like an erasure of trans people from the, the Stonewall movement. Um, so yeah, we, I really wanted to make sure they got, they got mentioned. Um, so well, it's Sylvia interesting Rivera. too, because Marsha P. Johnson is, um, so often referenced as the one who, you know, threw the first brick. Right. Yeah. And, and it, apparently there, there may have not been any bricks and years later, uh, Marsha P. Johnson actually said that, that she arrived later, um, and after it already had started. So, mm -hmm. so we're pretty sure that wasn't the case, but nobody knows exactly who was through the first stone or, or, or whatever got right. thrown. Forward. Who were Sylvia yeah. Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson though, ultimately? Yeah. So, uh, Sylvia Rivera was a Latina American drag queen who became one of the most rad radical gay and transgender activists, in the 1960s and seventies, uh, as a co-founder of the gay liberation front, Riv uh, Rivera was known for participating in the Stonewall riots of 1969 and establishing the po the political organization STAR, which stood for Street Transvestite, later changed to tran transgender because transvestite is not the, the word to yeah. use anymore, uh, Street Dr Transgender Action Revolutionaries uh, with fellow friend and drag queen Marsha P. Johnson. Mm -hmm. um, both took part in the Sto Stonewall riots, but they've admitted later in their life they did not throw the first brick or the stone, yeah. um, as was initially reported. Which brings us to probably the heaviest hitter or the most well-known, which is Harvey Milk. Yeah, there was there was a great uh, great movie that came out um, called Milk um, by uh, Gus Van Sant a few years ago. I actually happened to be uh, um, I, I'm not in the movie, but I actually was there when they were filming it. Um, oh, cool. And uh, yeah, they cut they cut me out of it. <laughs> but there was one part I was walking right next to um, Sean Penn, who plays Harvey Milk. That's awesome. Um, oh, that's yeah. awesome. I'm convinced that they cut it out because I, I looked at the camera or something. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like convinced. Like you can't break uh, the that, fourth wall. <laughs> yeah, I think I might have. I hope I didn't ruin it for everyone. Um, <laughs> anyway, but uh, but it was it was really cool though to be a part of that because they recreated the entire uh, Milk March, uh, which happened after Harvey Milk's um, uh, assassination, and so that's so it was it was kind of a double thing with Harvey Milk. Uh, he challenged the city's gay leadership, uh, which he thought was too conservative in, in, in its attempts to gain greater political rights for homosexuals. And in 1973, Milk ran for the seat of this on, on the city's board of supervisors um, in San Francisco, um, but was defeated. Um, and But after another unsuccessful bid in 1976, he was elected in 1977, becoming one of the first openly gay elected officials in U.S. history. Um, the following year, though, uh, Milk and the city's mayor, George Moscone, uh, were shot and killed in, in City Hall by Dan White, a conservative for, former city supervisor. At White's murder trial, his attorney successfully argued that his judgment had been impaired by a prolonged period of clinical depression, one symptom of which was the former health enthusiast's consumption of junk food. Now, this came to be known as the Twinkie defense. The Twinkie um, defense. Yeah, as just the lamest reason uh, to supposedly like be drawn to kill someone. But he also was very anti-gay, so it probably was a lot more to mm -hmm. do with the fact that that he was against that that aspect. But yeah, Harvey Milk, very iconic person in the in the Pride movement. And I want to point out too, um, so this is from um, Britannica, and turns out uh, Milk 
um, had served in the Navy during the Korean War and was, and it says, quote, other than honorably discharged in 1955 for having engaged in sexual acts with an, another enlisted men. Um, so even he was, you know, someone who struggled, who was affected by these sodomy laws and, you know, within the military, too, uh, which is still something that has been thought of as a hero. Right. Because of that taken down. Um, but and all, yeah, if you get a chance to watch the movie, it's uh, um, Sean Penn and um, oh, what's James his? Brolin. James it? Brolin. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's it is a fantastic movie. Um, have you, Curtis, have you ever been to the because he um, worked as a financial analyst in New York for a bit um, after the military um, and then. When he moved to San Francisco, he opened the camera store, um, which mm-hmm. kind of became the epicenter of the gay community um, and mm-hmm. ended up becoming his headquarters for his campaigns. But have you ever been to that camera store before? Yeah, I'm sure I have. I actually don't remember. Um, I actually don't remember like specifically what it was, but I do remember when they were making milk they actually shut down the entire area of the castro and they did have a a a shop that they were at least making into the camera store i don't know if it if it was like historically accurate but but they they i got to see basically what what their Mm -hmm. version of it was as they recreated it and yeah i mean i've i've spent a lot of time at at the castro and all that so i'm sure i'm sure that i i i walked by it at least (laughs) fair um so the twinkie defense ultimately did work in a sense that um, White's conviction was a lesser charge of voluntary manslaughter, and it ended up actually sparking, um, you know, a huge uproar within the city. And that night is actually now known as White Night Riot. Um, but yeah, just a, a very influential case that um, changed a lot of the attitude in the San, San Francisco area for um, gay people and queer people in that community. Um, yeah, it made them angry. <laughs> I, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it's junk food defense. I mean, right from so they're angry. Well, and ultimately, I know White, um, um, because he was being honestly outshone a lot by Milk, because Milk was just as incredibly persuasive, determined, and very charming, charming human being, and White just really wasn't. And they white wanted milk to support him on a bill. And I honestly think he wanted, he needed milk to speak against, I think it was gay marriage or something of the nature And milk. Obviously was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and that was something that ultimately led to Dan White's spiral and ultimately his killing of the mayor and milk because the mayor was also in huge support of milk. Mm-hmm. And, and and now they're you know there there's there's a Moscone Center there's there's uh, there's a I believe there's a statue of Harvey Milk um, I'm kind of blanking on it right now but um, you know so I mean they they be- basically became martyrs for this movement because uh, they they were very out and proud and and a big part of the Pride movement um, it was it was absolutely the wrong you know way to handle it for somebody who disagreed with with the gay movement because it, it really empowered um a lot of people to get into politics after that and did the exact opposite of what they were hoping for so next up um let's let's talk about um 
other prejudices that are still alive uh, today that we're still fighting for. The, the Boy Scouts of America debate um, has been a big thing uh, over the last 10 years. Um, they actually had to, um, they they're under a lot of scrutiny. A lot of people um, left or stopped supporting the Boy Scouts after a while. Uh, side note, the, uh, the Girl Scouts have actually been very accepting of queer people for, I, I think it's been like since the 70s or something. I mean, it's... All right, ladies. Yeah, completely <laughs> different attitude about it. Um, but yeah, but the Boy Scout debate um, was a public fallout that um, made that eventually made through pressure um, made them accept um, scouts that wanted to be openly gay. Whereas before that, it was kind of the "don't ask, don't tell" sort of sort of thing. Um, at first, it it uh, it allowed it it only allowed the scouts to be openly gay and not the adult leaders, which was interesting because it, the the um i think i think there was a some kind of lawsuit i don't know if it went all the way to supreme court i don't think it did but um but there was some kind of lawsuit where um where uh one of the leaders was gay and and wanted to be open about it and and even so he he won it for the kids but but he, he himself could not be open about it uh even still i believe that has changed i think think more recently somewhere in the last few years um, it's you can now be open as a scout leader as well, but it's so, went through there's some massive changes. So if you are a scout, if you could be openly gay if you were you know a, a preteen or a teenager. But when you grew up, if you wanted to be a scout leader, you had to you had to okay just exactly mm-hmm. that, right? yep. And I mean it was it comes it comes back to this idea of people that. thinking that adults are somehow making the kids gay or that somehow influencing it or whatever. And well, so like, well, also so to suggest that you can be who you are and then just shove someone back in the metaphorical closet when they turn 18 or whatever we're talking about. Um, that's, that's insanely traumatic. I would imagine. It's a good example of why sometimes compromise isn't an option. Right. You know? it is. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It is. yeah. You know, they, they thought, they thought that was the compromise and you know, sometimes Sometimes that's that's just not enough, and and people need to realize that. Well, um, and there are so there are some parts of um, so, I mean, so within the Boy Scouts, basically different, um, I guess what are they called? Troops? I don't. Um, different groups within the Boy Scouts are you know sponsored by organizations and whatnot. And so they're they basically make it that if you know your um, if your charter is um, or if you're a religious group that has chartered um, the organization um, that basically you can choose to not allow um, queer people to lead um, in your um, scouting group because it goes against the values that you teach. And um, there are a lot of people um, like, for example, the human rights uh, campaign president, Chad Griffin basically said like, well, it should just be that they're allowed no matter what, but then you get religious organizations that say this is even a little bit too far. Um, and for example, and Kara, maybe you can touch on this a bit too, because it specifically notes the um, church of Jesus Christ of oh, yeah. Latter-day Saints <laughs> saying that um, the organization is reevaluating its relationships with the scouts because they, you know, they believe that the scouts should not allow queer people whatsoever. Which is bizarre because the Mormon church also takes a stance that it's okay if you're gay, as long as you don't act on it. Mm-hmm. I, I guess so, I misspoke there. I apologize. Um, so I'm going to correct myself. Um, so a specific quote, it says the church has always welcomed all boys 
to its scouting units regardless of sexual orientation, the statement reads in part. However, the admission of openly gay leaders is inconsistent with the doctrines of the church and would have traditionally been the value of the Boy Scouts of America. And so that's the that's a statement from or part of the statement from the Latter-day Saints. So I, growing up, I actually I actually initially thought that Boy Scouts were only Mormons. I didn't think you could be a Boy Scout if you weren't Mormon. But then I, which then I learned, I was like, mm, okay. But then I also, I growing up, I only associated Boy Scouts, at least in my area, with religious organizations because all the Boy Scouts I knew had to adhere to these very strict organizations. I had no idea this was a national thing. So it is, I'm very interested in how religions co-opted Boy Scouts and like these groups that were meant to be available for any boy or man that wanted to join. And then suddenly like these religious groups were pushing their philosophies on it. That was very bizarre to me when I realized that I was like, wait, it, how did that point? it all comes down to money. Like, I mean, like so many things, uh, the church gave a lot of money to the Boy Scouts of America and they brought in a lot of people and they didn't want to lose that. So, I mean, you know, a lot of times when people are arguing principle, they're really arguing, an awkward position they'll be in with somebody that gives them money. Mm. Well, and, and ultimately, too, a lot when you know these um, youth groups started, you had a lot of religious groups, really religious groups, working to get involved early on because it was a good way to keep their religious foundation within the country as you know those children grew older. Yep, is the brand loyalty essentially. <laughs> And then, um, and then that actually is a pretty good segue to to this all this stuff about the church. Because I definitely want to make sure we have enough time for mm-hmm. we can maybe get back to this thing about more about jobs and stuff. But but like, let's talk about the church. Um, you know, a let's lot talk of people, about the church. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this could be an episode in and of itself. Oh, so like, I wanna, You know, but like, I, I did want to mention it because I feel like we, we like we and a lot of things I've been listening to and reading they kind of tiptoe around. Um, you know, this whole idea of like, is it right to be queer and religious and and you know there's a lot of, there's a huge debate about it we, we hear a lot about religious liberty to make sure that it, it doesn't mix uh, but at the same time there's also a lot of uh, people who are religious that have been really pushing for um, the church and queer people to to be, become one um, and, and actually from a personal standpoint one of the biggest surprises for me, once I started like going into the the, the gay world and being in, in dating guys and all that was was that I, I I expected all gay people to be anti-religion because right. so much of religion speaks against them. Mm-hmm. I just assumed that would be the case. And actually what I've found is that like a huge number of I mean I'd say even a majority of gay people are are religious or at least spiritual. Um, a lot of them are, you know, they, they go to church, they're open about it, um, whether or not their church is really like that much for it. Some are, some are not like, it's a big part of, of a lot of queer people's lives. And, and, you know, I did not know that going into it. Um, I'm not religious myself, so I didn't have to worry about that aspect, but a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. Um, there was, when I was in college, um, there was someone I worked with and he, um, he was one of the first um, gay people that I really um, got to know and um, really talked to, and he was very, very, very involved in one, you know, the fight for um, equal rights for 
queer people and two his church um and he he was so like so involved in the two and so it's kind of the same as you where it's like you know you don't like at least that's not the stereotype that you envision but Mm -hmm. just because you're one thing doesn't mean you can't be the other I have a question for you guys. Yeah. What, do you think that churches and religions have a right to say, this is what we believe, you can't change it, and if it doesn't fit what you believe, then you do not need to be a part of our congregation? Or do you think that they need to accept everyone? Like, how do you, what do you guys think about that? Um, no, I mean, ultimately, it's, um, I mean, it comes down to, the Constitution comes down to freedom of religion. Obviously, if, you know, you are preaching about, you know, sacrificing babies and whatnot like we should probably change that um but ultimately you know we talk about it i think we're gonna talk about a case here within the um methodist church that they had these split views of i mean over um lgbtq people and you know their acceptance within the church and they decided to split the methodist church into uh, basically, it's traditional Methodist, and then you know they call it like progressive Methodist or whatever. Um, so ultimately, you know, I I don't think we can force them to change their religious views within the face of you know freedom of religion. Um, but I don't think we can stop somebody from you know representing their own interpretation, just as the um methodist church did where they're like okay well we're just gonna split it up then yeah i mean there should be no law that that makes a religious organization um do something within their own church that they're that they don't want to do um yeah. i mean that's that's the whole idea of religion is is yeah. to have a safe space you know so so i understand that um, i really do i mean if if you're if you're in the queer community you understand the idea of having safe spaces <laughs> more than anyone right. you know so so yeah, I mean, I, I think very few people are are like you know let's go in and change the church or whatever. Like like they 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 want them to change on their own. They want to encourage it, but but as far as like a law or something, no, I would be completely like wrong. But again, like you know when we talk about things like Hobby Lobby and stuff like that, just because you know it's, or even say like say Goodwill or something like that, which I think is actually run by a church um, rather than just a religious person, like. Like I don't think that necessarily like exempts you from from running your non-religious business um, as a you know as something that that is prejudiced. I think that should be changed. Um, and by the way, Goodwill actually is fairly progressive, so I'm not saying anything bad about Goodwill. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, you know, but I'm just saying like uh, I, I think it. I think the church itself. I think your beliefs are your beliefs. You know, I would hope to change your mind, but at the same time, I don't think the law should do it. But if you happen, your church happens to run a, you know, a thrift store or something like that, yeah, the the thrift store needs to to treat people equally, right. even if you even if the money does go to your religion, and that if you don't like it, that's just tough. Mm-hmm. Good point. Great point, actually. I think a, another example of you know when I was talking about the Methodist church splitting is, um, you know, Carol, Carol. Carol um, Carrie, you know this, um, that the Church of Latter-day Saints, you know, so many people think, you know, Latter-day Saints and Mormons are the same thing, which they are, but it's the same idea as the split Methodist where, 
if you look at the history of Mormonism, Latter-day Saints and Mormons are not exactly the same thing. So it was, it was, it was the Latter-day Saints and then it was the polygamists split off into the Federalists, Latter-day Saints. And uh, the amount of times I got asked growing up how many moms I had. And I was like, that's not me, that's Federalists. Like, man. Um, but But yeah, it's a, yeah, that's a great point. You can split. Um, so, because I mean, in the face of freedom of religion, you you can't take away their freedom of religion. You know, it's it's just it is what it is. Um, I do have to say. Too- oh, sorry, Dylan. No, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I, do, I I just have a lot of empathy and compassion, and I guess like I I admire individuals. Like, if you are gay and you go to a church where you know that they don't necessarily support you, and you're still able to like have like your relationship with God or like pursue your spirituality through that. Like there's a lot of strength there. And I just, I just have massive admiration for people who have to worship in an unsafe space, but do so because they believe so strongly in their faith. Like that's, that to me is, is really incredible and like heartbreaking on so many levels, Mm -hmm. but I just have to say how much I, gosh, man, that's, that's some strength. Well, and you know, nowadays though, there's, there is enough, there are enough churches out there that are accepting yes, of, yep. of the queer community that, you know, I, I encourage if you are a part of a church that is not accepting or even creepily trying to change you somehow, <laughs> you know, to, uh, to seek out a, a church that better represents the, you know, the, the kindness of, uh, of your religion that you want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, since you mentioned the Methodist church, you know, maybe we'll just say a couple of things about that real quick. Um, the, uh, and this is a, a thing that's going on right now. It actually was stopped b- because of COVID that was supposed to happen, I think in uh, February. Um, you know, uh, I, I was just talking to somebody today who was saying, you know, isn't this whole gay thing over? Like, you know, isn't this in the past? Hasn't it been figured out? <laughs> and know. like, like, and, and I just, and I said, like, you're really naive because, you know, a lot of these things, they're in the middle of happening. You know, gay marriage has only been a thing for like six, seven years, uh, you know, and, and literally this year, uh, you know, a church, a major church, um, split, like you said, um, over this issue, um, with, you know, if you were, if you happen to be driving by a, um, a Methodist church, you might've seen, um, a pride flag up, which was supposed to be an indicator that they were going toward the, uh, gay friendly mm-hmm. way. Um, and, and, and one thing I found was that was interesting was the majority of Methodist churches in America actually went with the pro um, queer acceptance yep. um, way it was actually uh, the problem was this is a worldwide organization mm-hmm. and even though most of the of the locations are in the US um, locations that were in places like Africa were extremely against it and uh, and so that's exactly why they voted to basically split off um, it, it said the, the differences have simmered for years and came to a head in February 2019 at a conference in St. Louis where delegates voted 438 to 384. This is a worldwide vote um, for a proposal strengthening bans on LGBT inclusive practices. Uh, most of the U.S.-based delegates opposed the plan and favored uh, LGBTQ-friendly options, but they were outvoted by U.S. conservatives teamed with with most of the delegates um, from places like Africa and Philippines. In the aftermath of that meeting, many moderate and liberal clergy made clear that they would not abide by the bans, and so they started coming up with this idea to split. Um, they they have kind of like partially split, um, and uh, it, it's it's kind of a big mess right now. But uh, essentially, what they did was they they allowed them to keep they allowed they allowed them to keep their their like their land and like the 
the money that the land and the uh, the building actually um, brought them. Um, and but but like they wouldn't um, keep supporting them, sort of thing. Like that's that's kind of how the split happened. So it was a really like even though it was a hot issue, like they actually figured out a way to do it um, that was generally pretty fair i think to to both sides of that where they could continue um practicing they went with the way they wanted to practice and so i mean i think ultimately it's going to be a really good thing uh, for the people who are part of these congregations that want to be more accepting um, of queer people you know and i i, I we look, talk about all this and i i wonder what the basis of um, the people who do not want to include queer people within, you know, the church within the clergy, because you know, through the research that we found, it seems like it, in within the Bible, within Scripture, it never really even mentions homosexuality. Um, you know, there's there's you know the term sodomy, which is biblical, and you know, there's all this um, what they would consider deviant actions, but so much it is based off of the sexual act. And not the fact that it's necessarily a man or um, man and a man or a woman and a woman, and of course it's focusing more on man on man. Um, but for example, you know they um, and oh, where they talk about gang rape, for example, um, you know back in Roman and Greek times, gang rape was basically used as a means of um, one humiliation. It was a means of you know, basically putting people below you down and humiliating them and making them, you know, feel that they were lesser than you, less, you know, less human. And um, so they were condemning the fact that, you know, it was sodomy, it was gang rape, but it was interpreted through time. And no one really knows when these interpretations came to light. Um, But the interpretation was that it wasn't necessarily the gang rape in itself. What was wrong was that it's men enacting sexual acts on other men. Well, I mean, basically it was the rape was wrong. It was, it, 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 it has nothing to do with consensual sex. Exactly. Uh, you know, that that's, uh, I mean, that's the, that's the big difference, you know, I mean, nobody has ever, um, you know, fought for rape. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. not a winning battle. Uh, you know, that's a terrible thing. Um, so, you know, so it's, and to, and to, to, to make, to make them the same thing is is like a huge leap that you have to make um, that doesn't really hold water, um, you know. So okay, let's go through a couple of these. Um, yeah. So what does what does the Bible actually say about homosexuality? I did a lot of research on this, which is tough for me because I'm not religious and I and I had I know I know almost nothing about the Bible. So a lot of this is coming from research I've done just recently. Um, but like, um, but so you know, I'm not not trying to act like I know more than I do, but I definitely wanted to, to talk about this part. Um, so, uh, Which, yeah, I, so um, I will say too, I have not read the Bible. I don't go to church. So yeah, I am happy to be your resident Bible checker. As someone who <laughs> okay, Thanks. In depth for Thanks Kara. Years, three days a week. That's you guys. Let's hand roll it. Appreciate it. Um, I see. So quote for Christians to whom the Bible is God's very written word is widely understood that God produced its content through the inspired human uh, authors to tell the story of God's creation, how sin entered the world and the redemption that is found through Jesus Christ and salvation. Um, in this light, the Bible is often seen as the primary source that helps us figure out, uh, 
how the people of God should live. It is it is important to point out though that that being God's word doesn't mean we come to understand what is right or wrong through reading isolated passages. Rather, most Christians make these difficult determinations by studying what the whole of the whole of the scripture says regarding a specific topic, exploring the linguistic, historical, and cultural context which the words were written. And so that's really important, you know, like like there's a, I guess there's some people that believe it, literally everything literally happened uh, you know, and and they they make these huge assumptions of what of what words meant then means is the same of what it means now. And in a lot of cases, that is definitely not. It could not have been the way that that was. Kara, mm-hmm. um, um, so, growing up, because and you know, basically what um, Curtis had uh, just read to is that look at look at the story, look at the Bible within a whole. Don't use just specific. You know, obviously you can pick specific scripture you know if you're referencing or whatever but like don't use specific scripture to basically confirmation bias your thoughts um so you know when you when you were growing up in a religious household how are you taught how to handle you know what the lessons that were um taught to you through you know your religion I feel like there's so much debate in the religious communities and like, that's why we're even have all these examples to discuss because I knew so many people that were like, it's, it is verbatim. You follow the Bible. I knew so many people that believed it was parables. Like it was literally like, it didn't actually happen. And then I also knew people that were like, okay, times are extremely different now than they were back then. Like there was, we can't necessarily apply what happened back when Jesus was around to today's modern world. Mm-hmm. So I think that's exactly the problem. I was lucky, I think, to grow up in a house where my mom taught me, we love everyone. We, you know, we respect everyone's decisions. But even within my church community, people were arguing about how to interpret the Bible. So how can we expect an entire nation or God forbid the government to argue this question correctly when one congregation, one religion argues how to interpret these things? Mm-hmm. Um that's that's why it scares me when we have these conversations on like a national platform or on a political platform because we're making decisions about people's lives when the 300 people in my church service couldn't even decide how to interpret these things. Right. So. And then that's when when you get people who, you know, challenge how uh, you know, a specific church has been um, interpreting the Bible, that's when you get, you know, the faction that split off and some people agree, some people don't and I mean, I guess you hope that leads to some kind of progression, but who knows? Everyone's going to interpret everything differently. There's always this. There's always this push to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say like that's what I think that's what bothers me so so much is that it is interpretation, right? These are very old texts, and we're interpreting things, and then we're telling people. And I understand, like you can interpret it pretty well most of the time I would say, yeah. but it's interpretation. So if you're telling someone that what they're doing is sinful and evil and all these things, I hope you're right. I hope you interpreted that right because you're telling someone that they're like evil in the eyes of God. And I think that's, that's quite scary, but I, I also understand religion is it's a tough subject and um, I don't want to also like, criticize people who are, you know, believers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy that somebody who doesn't have to go through the questioning of their sexuality would be so opinionated by it. You know, it's not, it's not their, it's not, you know, it's, it's not on them if they're wrong, you know? So, I mean, it's a, if somebody is, is very passionate about, about something that is to do with their own soul, like, it seems like you would at least consider 
their their risk and their and their you know wanting to to find that place where they feel at peace to you know to at least uh, listen to their argument. Yeah, but you have to remember if it's like if it's the church and it's it's like for, it's a doctrine and it's that the difference is heaven and hell. And in the Bible, it talks about how you are given more like a lot of religious belief because this is in the Bible that if mm-hmm. you bring people to God, you gotcha. you're doing what's that's the work that's what the work you're doing here. So you're 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 saving someone from hell. And how do you reason with someone like that? Because it is good intentions. It, gotcha. That is a good intention. But it, it can cause a lot of damage and trauma to someone. Well, I mean, you well, look at um, Alfred Kinsey, who we talked about, and uh, I believe it was the last episode. And, you know, he struggled a lot with his sexuality um, growing up and as a child. And he was part of, I believe, you know, he's part of the Boy Scouts. And um, his father was a devout evangelical. And he, you know, would get um, these sexual urges and, you know, these impulses to masturbate and their response like they would make him flog himself to get him to basically like deteriorate his mind of those um, impulses and those temptations um, and it a lot of scarred these things, him for the rest of his life a lot of these things you know they seem radical at the time just because it's tradition that you're used to you know it's like maybe you are a 50 or 60 year old person. And when you grew up, you didn't know any gay people and and they weren't part of the church. And you assume that this is just a new thing or a fad or something Mm -hmm. like that, you know, but, but the whole idea of like affirming Christians, which are the ones that are, that are, are queer and religious at the same time is that they're not overturning Christian tradition. Exactly. They're, they're trying to, to set it right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, they're really trying to, they're, they're not trying to change your traditions. They're trying to say, we want to be a part of this too. Yes. We love the same God. Like let us worship together. Um, but yeah, I, I want, I think it's hard because it'd be so nice to simplify this. And it's so hard when you talk about religion, but yes, Curtis, exactly. That's like, they want to, the whole point is to have a community and to worship God together, but you're telling them, no, they can't. That's, that's not how it works. A sin is equal and all in God's eyes. That's how the Bible says it. All sins are equal. So, you know, don't be gay, but I can go cheat on Tammy Sue. Like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's let's talk about a couple of things that get brought up a lot. Um, so, um, so I'm going to skip. The notes are a little weird here, but I'm going to skip ahead a little bit um, to let's, let's talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. So, there we go. so Sodom and so so sodomy is is the term that's still used uh, for anal sex, basically, mm-hmm. um, and it comes from the Bible. So every time you you hear anything, anybody say you know sodomy or Sodom or anything like that, it's it's always it always means that it, there's a reference to the Bible. Uh, it's mm. it's hard to remove it from that. So right there, you should know that separation of church and state should not be a part of the law. It's so um, entrenched within the American judicial system and just legal system it really is yeah and 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 so basically what happened was the destruction of sodom and gomorrah is commonly assumed to have been the result of god's wrath against homosexuality but the only form of same-sex behavior described in the story is an attempted gang rape mm-hmm. which is what you were alluding to before yep. it's not like the loving committed relationships that are widespread today in in the queer community um the Bible explicitly condemns Sodom for its for for its arrogance and hospitality and apathy toward the poor, but never for same-sex behavior. Quote, same-sex rape was a common tactic of aggression and humiliation in the ancient world. Game rape is, is completely different from loving relationships. Um, 
but but having Christians always understood the sin the sin of Sodom to be the same to be same sex behavior, and that answer to that is actually no. Um, that that was not the original interpretation of the Sodom story, which dates back to the it actually dates back to the 14th century BC. So even like even in the time since these stories were written, they've changed their interpretation over time. So it's not like you know year one this was already a, a an established thing that we've always known and it was you know it's breaking tradition if we don't this was actually something that was put upon the bible um, by people who interpreted it that way hundreds of years i mean a thousand years later 1400 years later um, so the term sodomy was not actually coined until the 11th century and even then it was only used, it was widely used to refer to all non procreative sexual acts including uh heterosexual acts not just same sex so it's basically anything that didn't yield children which is another thing we talked about you know the in i think the first episode of the series is that homosexuality was condemned because how can you be a responsible human being how can you be a responsible part of society if you are not contributing to procreation to the you know advancement of the human race yeah, it was it was a longevity thing. It was a you know be fruitful and multiply thing. It wasn't really meaning you know uh, you know that God hates gay people. Um, you know, there's a joke that I like that that uh, you know a priest says uh, um, you know uh, we just found an ancient scripture you know that we're that that has been buried for you know for thousands of years. It's, it's and then there's like a big pause and he says it actually said God hate hates figs. <laughs> that's all this time all this stuff and god hates figs so that's don't right. eat figs i don't really like figs <laughs> but it's a joke because of how easy it is to misinterpret something from that long ago oh, you guys goodness. want to cover leviticus let's switch to that that's another sure. major so yeah uh, leviticus condemns male same-sex intercourse leviticus 18 22 and 2013 uh, yeah, uh, so Leviticus um, is something that's cited a lot by uh, anti-gay people that that, that um, it's a sin, uh, but the entire uh, Old Testament law code has never applied to Christians in the light of Christ of Christ's death. Um, I'm getting a lot of this from uh, the Reformation Project, uh, which is a really great resource if you if you want to hear more about this from somebody who actually knows what they're talking about um, versus me that just is reading about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, <laughs> But yeah, you know, uh, basically the idea was Christ died for your sins. Therefore, you you are resolved of of those of those basic sins as long as you believe in Christ and follow that, you know, that that church. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then that's really important for a lot of for a lot of Christians. It's like the bedrock of that. So this whole idea of Leviticus condemning uh, same sex, even if it is true, uh, would have been resolved by by the death of Christ. Um, moreover, the pro- uh, prohibitions of male same-sex relations reflect culturally bound concerns about patriarchal gender roles, which the New Testament points us beyond. So talking about the New Testament undoing uh, the Old Testament. And so, so a lot of people are are citing the original source, but not the updated source. So you have this quote here. So, yeah, male same-sex intercourse was prohibited because it subverted patriarchal gender norms of male dominance in a society that devalued women. So even within that quote, it's not necessarily about it. It's not homophobia. It's sexism against women in (laughs) that explanation. It's, it's, it's not that they're partaking in homophobic acts. 
it's that it's taking away from the male dominance over women in the society. Yeah. And, and I mean, and if you are somebody, you know, of modern times that, you know, that think women are equal, then you should be over this because basically it was saying like how sort of like, you know, terrible it would be if you were, you know, if, if a man having another, having sex with another man, the one that was receiving the sex would be, you know, as low as a woman. Like, I mean, like, I mean, that's so sexist. It's mm-hmm. so, it's so backwards. And yet this is something that people, I think that even, you know, that, that are somewhat forward thinking as far as, um, you know, gender equality still use as a reason that, that gay people shouldn't exist. It, it's stuff like this that makes me struggle with understanding people that take the Bible literally, you know, um, I just I, I don't understand how that's possible. Yeah, it said things like, you know, slavery, that's cool. You know, <laughs> you know, it said, you know, I mean, it, it said all kinds of things that, that you know, that, that we that we don't we don't follow today and we don't even really think about like it was just it's just so it's so silly. We ignore it. But within when you, we, the things that we we have these biases for we point to it like it's the absolute end all of all laws you know it's like mm-hmm. well no it kind of changes over time uh something that um gets mentioned in in uh, another thing i'm going to bring up in a little bit um is this idea of alpha and omega and that you know that 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 uh that basically that the bible was written it's it's done it is exactly how perfect as it is or whatever but like but alpha and omega actually means that god is is god from the beginning to the end and that everything in the middle can actually change um you know uh that that god will be a part of that change so the idea if you believe that god is a part of everything then you have to believe that god is a part of queer people because Mm -hmm. that is part of the design the change you know that that it's kind of like it's 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 weird to to think that God's work started or, or you know ended with uh with the beginning of the world, you know. So it just I don't know. It's a bit it's a bit naive. Well, it's like I said. I think before we started recording, is you know if if we are if humans are God's creation, if we are God's children, then how are we to condemn somebody who is gay because? Even even though they are, you know, God's creation, and th- and this is why I really wish we had someone on the show right now who shared some of these views to explain them, just because we like there's really no way of knowing if we don't have somebody who can explain them directly. Um, That's true, but it's you know it's something that I've always always questioned, and I guess Kara, maybe you have some further insight <laughs> on that idea. I I don't know. I think. God's children are supposed to be imperfect. And again, the Bible says all sins are equal. So it does make you think that maybe the homophobia in churches is because of people. And it's tough to limit on religion because mm-hmm. people can corrupt religion. But if you're following it the way it's supposed to be, you're supposed to love everyone. So that, that always gets lost on me too. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't understand it. Well, I think the, the exact example of corruption in religion is, uh, you know, pedophilia that, was found within the Catholic church. Right. And it actually like, like something I didn't realize when I first saw, saw spotlight, which is about, about that investigation that, that Such led to, a, 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 yeah, to, to that basically was unearthing professor. it. Oh, really? Yeah. That was my, who's professor at my school. Oh, and wow. They it by looking at, they were comparing, um, sorry, Curtis, I totally cut you off. Cause I got You're really okay. excited. It's cool. Um, yeah. They cracked <laughs> the, the pedophilia case in the Catholic church in Boston which, by the way, the Catholic Church in Boston is—it's an identity for Boston people. 
right. they were comparing books that showed where priests were moved and when there were scandals and realized that, oh, every time a priest gets accused of, you know, being a pedophile, he gets moved to a different location. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. sorry, I was stuck on the side. Here you are. Um, real quick, I'm going to put uh, my wife, Shelby, on um, because she has actually a little bit of input on um, my question about, um, like, I guess, the acceptance and denial of um, homosexuals within the church. Um, so here's Shelby. Hi, Shelby. Hi, Shelby. Hey, girl. My best friend. Oh, hey. <laughs> I hear that, you know, you broke all of your tires today. So that sucks. <laughs> That's all that matters, everyone. Go ahead, Shelby. <laughs> um, okay, so... To be clear, I do not believe this, but I grew up in a very religious community and was taught this um, in my youth group. And basically, being gay in the eyes of many people is inherently a sin. Um, There's a couple different Bible quotes and verses that say what people can interpret as homosexuality is a sin. The most popular one, of course, is the one in Leviticus, um, which says a whole lot of things are sins that we do all the time. Um, but just like any other sin, we're taught that Christ forgives those sins. If you are repentant and you pray and you say you're sorry, and that is where there gets to be this kind of difficulty, um, within at least my experience in the church is that you still have to say that that's a sin and you have to try to not do it. So if you are openly gay and living that lifestyle and, you know, have a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it might be you are not sorry and you're not trying Mm -hmm. to not do that. And so that's where the church, yeah, they find it difficult because you're not saying you're sorry and you're not actively trying to not do that. Um, And so that's where you get a real sticky situation with a lot of people trying to understand um, homosexuality. And in my church, at least, that's what actually drove apart families is that they could understand being gay to a point but they couldn't understand embracing being gay and that really really upset them right there is this movie um that i had referenced called come sunday and in it it's this um in the 80s and it's this big mega you know preacher at this mega church and he's um he has um it's his piano player is struggling because he's gay and he tells him and i said this before is there's a difference between being gay and doing gay and it sounds like that's exactly what it was taught within your church. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's like a form of progressivism, but it's but it also is like damaging in of in it of itself. Like it's like come in here, you know, we want you to be a part of us, but you are inherently bad yeah. <laughs> until you apologize. You know, that's a backhanded uh, backhanded like you know hug or whatever. Like I don't know. Oh yeah, and it gets really, really complicated. Um, Actually, within my own youth group, we had um, a boy who came out as being gay, and he was his family didn't accept him at all. He was completely suicidal. Um, But we actually called like our preacher to go talk to him um, because they were just inherently very close. I don't know. I grew up with a lot of people loving our preachers and stuff, Um, but. Our preacher actually had to go and like basically tell him, look, your family doesn't support it. A lot of the church doesn't support it. And that sucks. But ultimately, the person who matters the most in this view, at least, which is, you know, God and Jesus and kind of the epitome of what you're doing, they love you regardless. And he did a really good job of helping um, that man. I guess now he's a man. 
he's always like 12 in my head, I guess. But <laughs> um, uh, he did a really good job of helping him like understand that uh, his parents are never going to accept him. And that really sucks. But ultimately, it's like your heavenly father that matters the most. And I wish that okay. more priests and preachers would take that route of like, it doesn't really matter if it's a sin or not, because the ultimate like your savior cares and wants to save you. And that's what's most important. But it's really, really hard for people to find that. And it's really hard to accept that. And I don't know if y'all know this, but the church in general has a really hard time with new things. We're really bad at that. (laughs) So maybe in like a hundred years, we'll be like kind of okay with it. Um, But anyway, I'll uh, pop out. Thanks for letting me come on. Yeah, it was interesting. It's, It's interesting like that it's like a, like a half, it's kind of like a half measure, you know, it's kind of like walking a line. It's, it's actually what my, what my very liberal friend, uh, Damien would say was, was like, kind of like, kind of like the, the worst part about being in the middle of the road is just that like you end up sort of giving credence to both sides, you know? And so it's like, I understand like the, I understand that it is progressive and it, it is better than saying kicking someone out or driving them to suicide. But at the same time, it's like, it's interesting because it's, uh, it, it, you know, by sort of half accepting it, I, I feel like, like that person's only, only going to be half a person, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, until, until they come to grips with it. And, and, you know, it, like, it's interesting that at least lately, a lot of people are really trying to merge, trying to bring back, um, particularly young, um, queer people to the church by trying to sort of change the, the discussion to not just be like, like we'll accept your sin to, to, you know, maybe this wasn't even a sin to begin with. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not, we're accepting that you are sinning. It's we're accepting that this is who you are. You know, we're accepting you as a person, not as a person who is just sinning. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but you know, but, but, queer people, they don't want to, they don't want to be associated with, you know, with all of sins. I mean, you know, it's, it's right. just weird. Like, you know, it's like, you know, you, know, you say you're, you're coming up for forgiveness and the person ahead of you murdered somebody, you know, and it's like in their eyes, you're just as bad as them, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it's sort of like, like from a, from a gay perspective, like it would just be like, I don't know. I, I, I would have a difficult time with that. I would be like, you know, right. like this is, this is on a no level close to all these other actual bad things that people are doing and and yet you're treating it as if you're forgiving me just the same way i don't know i don't like that you know and and perhaps if you know if you grew up like i guess growing up were you at all involved with religion uh, me a little bit with catholic but not really i was baptized and they kind of stopped after I, I pretty much lost interest when i was a kid yeah and so, you know, and maybe if you hadn't, you know, of course, you'd be probably sitting in a completely different seat than you are now with a different perspective on it. That's um, true. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of people are very OK with with being both religious and queer. And that's that's really cool that they're able to do that. And I hope it's because the churches are are slowly but surely coming coming uh, to grips with it, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, but, you know. Like Shelby said, you know, it's it's a very slow process and it's a process that will outlive you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you yeah. Know? So it's like it's not something that like that you can be like, well, maybe next year. It's like, well, maybe two or three generations from now. And and I don't know. I, I don't have that kind of patience. <laughs> I don't think many people do. Um, I guess maybe we have to, though. 
Um, but Curtis, um, can you, um, I know you uh, got into this right before we started recording, but could you tell us a little bit about the Reformation Project? Yeah, Reformation Project is a really cool resource. Um, here, let me skip down a little bit. Um, one second. There we go. Um, so uh, basically, they're an organization that look to connect the church, the, the churches and trans citizens uh, and, and queer in general. But but uh, it's a, there's a real big push right now for trans rights um, to uh, to t- try to teach that they're not a mistake of God, but but um, but that the mistake is of a modern society that basically misnamed them um, in case mm-hmm. of the trans movement um, that, you know, you're assigned female or male at birth. And, and, you know, by you saying that, no, I'm, I'm not a man, I'm a woman, or I'm a woman and not a man, by you saying that you're not like, like, you know, trying to say that God was wrong, you're trying to say that whatever society named you that to begin with, just because you of of what genitalia you had, um, was, was not accurate. Um, and so there's, there's an absolutely fantastic YouTube video, um, that everybody should watch from the Reformation Project, um, about 45 minutes and it's a uh, a trans person uh, talking about um their struggle and 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 sort of how they came up on top of 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 understanding their religion and realizing that that um it was okay to be themselves um that they talk about how the church usually has three schools of thought on being queer one is that it's an intentional correctable sin done to to spite or to walk away from god Hmm. um that's not how they felt you know personally um so so that wasn't right for them um two that the queer uh, people are sick and need to be fixed which i guess is probably closer to what we were talking about before with like, we accept your sin, you know, but like, it'd be better if you, if you stopped being this way. Um, so that, that doesn't really work for a lot of, a lot of queer people. I think it's a very uh, um, unhealthy way of, of, of being within your church. Oh, yeah. um, and then the third one is a uh, expression of natural diversity. Um, and, and that one is, is a much more positive, um, part, you know, or way to feel about yourself. It's that, this idea that in, in the scripture, you know, there's, there's lots of cases of, of, um, of people that, that, you know, were they, they dressed a little differently. Sometimes, you know, there's, there's, there's kind of a, um, a hint that, that they were, um, you know, that they dressed in a different clothing than what they, than, than what their gender norm would have allowed them to, things like that. There's different hints about people being different, um, and so they talk a lot about that. Um, one of my favorite things was um, that in the in the case of trans people specifically, um, they talk about um, these binaries of God that that God created a man and a woman only one or the other. Pick one, you know, or mm-hmm. let's say you're 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 picked at birth and that's what you are. And the thing that they point out was God also created the land and the sea. But how do you explain estuaries or rivers or all these things that are that are related or a part of it are between them, but aren't necessarily, you know, just those two things. So the idea is just because the Bible says there are there are two things does not mean that there are not more things between it or different interpretations of 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 those of those two binary things. So mm-hmm. it, it really creates this idea of of where of where trans people can feel as if they're um, a part of God's plan and not somehow like a um, a separate thing from it. Mm-hmm. Well, and 
you kind of think about that too, right? Like, um, you know, it's man and woman, man and woman to make child. And if, you know, everything is God's creation, wouldn't you think that that would be consistent throughout nature? But, you know, you look at, um, you know, there are so many uh, instances within nature where there are certain, um, you know, animals or, you know, insects, mammals, whatever they may be, um, uh, amphibians and whatnot that where they have different ways of, you know, procreating. They, you know, you have different roles within some, you know, sea creatures where the female is much more dominant than the male. And so if there's not that consistency within the natural world, within, you know, animals and insects and creatures, why, why does there have to be that consistency within human beings if we're all part of God's creation? Well, and, and even if there weren't that in, in the animal kingdom or whatever, like, like we are human beings, we have the minds to, to be who we are and Mm -hmm. to change and to do things at a higher level, you know? So, so just because we're not acting like, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, some, some random, uh, animal or something would act or whatever. doesn't not necessarily mean it's wrong. You know, we're not, mm-hmm. we're not eating, you know, raw, raw meat on the ground or whatever, you know, where it's like, like we, we have evolved. And, and if, if we have that ability, you know, why is it necessarily wrong? Um, uh, right. one thing that was mentioned is Romans, um, it addresses it that is also mentioned as a way, as a way to sort of like put gay people on the defensive. Um, but that, Romans actually addresses unrestrained lust, not sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. And in the ancient world, it assumed that all people should be satisfied with heterosexual sex, but that but that some people, even back then, went beyond that because they had this quote un- insatiable lust that that led them to engage in same sex behavior. Probably what it really was is it was attraction, but mm-hmm. but they thought of it as in addition to what was necessary to procreate, and therefore it was lust it was over the mm-hmm. top and should be condemned and so like a lot of people think of the, as romans as a as a warning um against heter- against homosexual um sex but it actually is more about unrestrained lust you know so there's lots of that that case where i don't know i mean in the animal kingdom there's lots of unrestrained lust but you know but it does but it does but it doesn't necessarily need restraining i guess i know <laughs> in the modern world i know there is a, a passage in the bible and i'm sure shelby knows this because she was talking about it the other day but it's um, you know, they're talking about basically if it, it, I mean, it literally says like, if you cannot keep your eyes off of a woman, if you're so lustful that, you know, you have to, you know, go at this woman, then maybe you should gouge your eyes out, you know? Um, and that's, that's yeah. the stance that the Bible takes and people seem to ignore that. I mean, what's crazy is if you can't stand uh, looking at, at uh, two sorry. guys kissing, that was a uh, Matthew five twenty nine. <laughs> It was uh, the King James version of the Bible. I was going to say, you know, if if you can't stand it looking at two guys kissing, maybe you should stab your own eyes out. You know, what I mean, like, who are you to you know tell somebody else right. that 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 their eyes, you know, are the problem? And it's like, you know, it's just, it's just, I don't know. It's very very presumptuous. Mm. Well, well, it's, <laughs> you know, it's instilled within you know even our school systems the whole idea that you know we you know I think we all experience this probably growing up in elementary school is. You know, a girl can't show her shoulders because it's distracting for the boys. And it's like, well, well guys, maybe, guys, it's maybe the boys should. Woman <laughs> to, to, no, no, this is my responsibility as a woman. I was told when I was 12 
to help the boys because y'all can't control your urges. <laughs> so I just want to I want to help y'all out. Unrestrained lust that we have. But exactly. it, it all goes back to the interpretation of the Bible and how like it, the the real issue was the lust and it's like well maybe you should just control yourselves but it it's interpreted differently and it's instilled in our societies in ways like this where people don't even realize it yeah i mean thankfully there's been a lot of of updating to the church i think actually out of necessity i mean every every time the church changes it's not necessarily because they've become super enlightened a lot of times it's because it's unpopular to hold the belief that they have and they're losing mm-hmm. pa- you know patrons um, not to make it just like a monetary thing. I'm not trying to be that that you know necessarily uh, so that, negative about it. A, a poll about that, and uh, it was in a Washington Post article that talked about how millennials are not attending church anymore. So the Pew Research Center did a poll. They tracked America's religious landscape, and they found that amongst 23 to 20 to 38 year olds. In 2019, roughly two-thirds attended worship services just a few times a year or less. And four in 10 said they seldom or never go. A decade ago, more than half of the people went to church. Hmm. So, like, and literally, and Curtis is what you're talking about, I think, our generation is not attending church very often. And a lot of that has to do with what these these studies find is because, well, why should I? It, it doesn't it, it doesn't like me. They don't want yeah. me there. They don't like my lifestyle. So churches are absolutely changing the, the way they are. And I don't think there's anything necessarily bad with that. There's some public pressure of saying, okay, you can keep believing that, but just so you know, like you're going to have a very small congregation because you're, you're kicking so many people out. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that public pressure is there. And Pope, Pope Francis actually said something about that. I don't have the quote written down here, but it was something like, like in order to kind of maintain the attention and the like, sort of like the, the relevancy to, to a newer generation that like they should look into being more accepting. Um, and you know, which is, which is forward thinking, but it's also just smart, you know, just smart business, just smart. You know, if you want, if you want to have the largest religion, you want to have them, you know, the, with the most people and the most people you're affecting, um, positively, hopefully, uh, you have to go with the times. You have to, you know, let the women wear pants. You have to, you know, you have you have to desegregate. You know, you have to do all these things. And and every every, it seems like a fight up until it happens, and then and then we forget it ever was anything different. And now this is the new thing. You know, it's cool. it's acceptance of gay and trans people. If you remember, I don't know if you do remember, um, this was a really big thing. I can't remember when it was. It was a while ago. I believe I was still in the church. Um, the Mormon church made a rule that um, if you had gay parents, you could not be baptized into the church. Um, and that was a huge deal because you were basically suffering, quote unquote, from your parents' mm-hmm. you know, decisions. And um, wow. it was the biggest withdrawal from the church that the church had ever seen. People were going in droves to turn in their letters, basically is what you have to do. People, attorneys were coming out of the woodwork, helping people file to get off church records. And a couple of years later, the church said, oh, actually, um, you can actually get baptized, uh, whatever. So it's good. <laughs> these things are good. Like these movements of saying like, well, fine then. If you're not going to accept me, I'm not coming are are good. If, if you have like the ability and the strength and the time to do that, you know? Uh, I mean, you know, we have a note here about, about the, the, about Pope Francis, which is fairly new about you know, sort of kind of back and forth about how uh, sometimes he's been very positive about, about accepting of gay people other times, at least privately uh, not been quite so much uh, saying, I guess privately he was supposed to have said that uh, not to let people who are studying for the priesthood who were known to be gay 
uh, not to let them in. So there's there's definitely a, a, it's kind of a back and forth thing. But of all the popes that have ever been part of the church, uh, definitely the most forward thinking and uh, and a lot of uh, conservative people um, have 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 been either i'm not sure if they've left the church but they definitely have been very critical of that um I, i've i've heard family members talk about you know this this pope is out of control and mm-hmm. you know he didn't you know he says all these things that and and uh and you know and they're they're not happy with the, with the direction it's it's very interesting too because you look at you know it's the the status of you know the pope who's supposed to be you know i mean is the head of the catholic church and it you know i i feel like there's this idea that you know, you're supposed to follow what the Pope says, but that, you know, idea of how there are people who, you know, don't agree with that and have, you know, changed their views or, you know, left the Catholic Church or, you know, fractured off like the Methodist Church did because of that, it kind of goes to show how political the Church is even in itself. There's, you know, religion within politics, but there's also politics within religion. And yeah, I mean, to every time ways. the Pope... Every time the Pope speaks against something Trump does, you know, it creates a little bit of a divide because because a lot of Trump supporters are very religious. And mm-hmm. when the Pope says, you know, this guy doesn't really, you know, represent the the, the most positive view of immigrants and, and the needy and the poor and all that stuff. When he says those things, there's always a little bit of a backlash against the Pope um, from people who would rather follow Trump than, than their religion. Yeah, you know, so when gay marriage passed, uh, it was supposed to be the end of the world for some people, quite literally. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and we're we're a few years into it, and you know, it 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 didn't it I'm didn't come sure to pass. Twenty twenty is the end of the world. If we're all <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't right. think that was. Reasons, I don't think twenty twenty was connected. caused by gay marriage. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure not. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, the, but the views have changed quite a bit, um, for, for Americans, uh, really rapidly, more rapid than any other social issue over the last, um, few decades. And that has changed politics. It's changed the democratic party to some degree. It's even changed the Republican party, um, with, with Trump and, uh, and one of the Supreme court justices they put into office, um, saying that, um, gay marriage was settled. It was over, move on which was, you know, a, a rare, a rare good part of, of, of that presidency. Um, and so and a lot of that is because of, of perception. So today, 79% of Americans uh, who are religiously unaffiliated favor same-sex marriage, as do 66% of white mainline Protestants and 61% of Catholics. Um, that's a big deal in the Catholic community, yeah, no by kidding. the way. 61% might as well be, I think that's about the best you're going to get for a while. <laughs> Um, cause Catholics are very, very traditional in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And they, ha- they usually happen to be, um, very, very, um, Latino uh, or Latina. Um, and so, which is all, which is, uh, uh, one of the races that so often are against, um, say gay people or say are definitely, um, gay marriage. Um, uh, still, uh, this is roughly double the level that it was in 2009 among white Evangelical Protestants, however, um, only 29% uh, favor same-sex marriage, but that is actually double um, what it was in 2009 when only 15% um, were for that. So basically the point is uh, it is huge. It has it really uh, gained a lot of traction in uh, the last few decades. Um, 
and it also depends on your age. If you're from the silent generation, which are people born between 1928 and 1945, um, you have a a 45% chance of agreeing with gay marriage um, compared to 74% of millennials, which are born between 81 and 96. Uh, Republicans and Republican-leaning people um, are much less likely to favor gay marriage, um, 44% versus Democrats, which are 75%. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's, you're right. It's very political and it's one of those things. It should not at all be political. Like it shouldn't have nothing to do with the fact that you you are a conservative that likes your taxes cut as to what you think people should do in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. That's it. It should not be connected. You know, and we talked earlier, even in that, in the, um, Supreme court case where, the, where Merrill um, basically said that marriage is not about love. Marriage is about you know legality. And we see, it says here, 84% of LGBT adults and 88% of the general public cited love as a very important reason for getting married. Um, but then it goes on to say that um, LGBT American, LGBTQ Americans are twice as likely to... Um, cite um, legal rights and benefits as more important reasons for getting married. It's, you know, 46% versus um, 23. And then um, uh, the general public are also twice as likely as LGBTQ Americans to cite having children as the reason for getting married, 49% versus 28%. So even the reasons for marriage have, um, the ideas for the reason for marriage have changed after, um, uh, uh, gay marriage has been allowed within the United States. Yeah, I mean, if you're straight, you've always had the ability to have kids. You know, you've mm-hmm. always you've always had the protections in the law, so you don't you don't value them like people that have never had it. Mm-hmm. The other thing I thought was interesting was in the U.S. Uh, or the U.S. is among 29 countries and jurisdictions that currently allow gay and lesbian couples to wed. Um, and uh, there's a lot of countries that don't still, um, even today, even in 2020. Um, so the what world is, is not 29 not of like 216 ahead. countries. It's more than that. I think, I mean, it's, I, it, there's lots of little countries, <laughs> that's, that's fair. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, and the uh, Netherlands, just for trivia sake, Netherlands was actually the first to legalize gay marriage, um, in the year 2000, which is appropriate, a new, new century, new, new understanding of, of gay marriage. And, and, uh, and in May, 2019, Taiwan became the first country in Asia, to allow gays and lesbians to legally wed. So that means all the other countries in Asia <laughs> um, don't allow it. I was very interested actually to see um, uh, South Africa on there. I didn't, I didn't expect that honestly. And I, I guess I don't know why. Um, it's a, it's a racial thing. Um, I mean, South Africa is the only part of Africa that has a large white, I think maybe even larger white population um, over black population. So I, I think it's, it's it's something somewhat to do with the different races understanding it differently or being say less anti-gay um, than than the uh, average African person, um, and it also has to do probably somewhat with white privilege. Curtis, why don't you? We're um, getting there on time, so why don't you take us out on uh, a very important note here? Yeah, I, you know, so so this is the end of a of a, of a really long three part series, and congratulations for everyone that stuck in and did the whole the whole series because mm-hmm. it was really important. Um, you know, coming up, we're going to be doing um, some more on trans um, uh, history and and the whole trans experience, which yeah. uh, you know, I'll let you talk more about in a second. But um, but you know, so don't 
don't turn the dial yet or whatever, you know, keep, keep listening. But, but a good note to kind of wrap this up on, on just a really positive thing is, is, uh, you know, all of these people and organizations, um, that have been fighting for this, um, since the beginning of America. And then even before the U S and the rest of the world, um, you know, it's, it's really come to a place where we can finally sort of start experiencing equality, but we're not, we're not quite there yet. Um, you know, there's a lot of progress still to happen. Um, but, but we all have come a long way. And in the United States, um, the, um, back in 1980, the democratic party, um, was the first to actually, uh, support, um, the gay activist movement. And they actually, um, added it to, um, their, uh, their official, um, like roster of things that they wanted to, to, to do. So platform. the Democrats were, yeah, their platform. Thank you. Um, that, um, Democrats were, were way ahead of that. Republicans have come, come a long way and are definitely a lot more supportive than they used to be. Um, unfortunately, Trump removed, um, a lot of LGBT information from the white house, uh, website. Um, so that is definitely a negative, um, in that, in, in that, uh, administration. So, you know, Erasure is a real thing, and as people think that it's it's all over, um, it actually can make you go backwards. Um, so, so to end it all out, just to just um, kind of got off on a tangent there. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, um, no but uh, if you're out there, if you're in the process of coming out, or you know somebody that 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 is dealing with that, um, you know, it's a really scary thing to go through, and uh, and it's very isolating. It's there's a lot of self-doubt and questioning and stuff that that you have to do um it's not at all easy so these were some tips that we found um looking online and then just from experience um to help you try to get through that um you got to remember that this process it takes months years or even decades and whatever is right for you is is what's right so there's no you know you don't have this much time and then it's over or if you're over this age you can't do it i've met people who are in their 50s and 60s that still weren't out and, and although I don't, I don't think that that's right. I think you should come out and I think you should be yourself. I understood that. And, you know, and I, I, I still to this day haven't said anything about it, you know? So, um, so, you know, if you're, if you're going through this, make sure you have your support network in place. Mm-hmm. Don't judge people's, uh, initial reactions. Cause you know, uh, like when I was coming out, uh, you know, like everybody, pretty much everyone in my life was, was more than okay with it. Almost annoyingly okay with it. Cause I wanted, <laughs> I, I wanted them to be, you know, I wanted them to ask some, some crazy questions and I was all ready. And I mm-hmm. thought about it all this way. And the co- most common answer was we still love you, mm-hmm. which is a great thing to say, but it's, but it's also like, like, it's also just kind of anticlimactic if you're ready to have a whole discussion about it, you know? I remember uh, so- <laughs> uh, when you first told me it was you, Connor and I were at, lunch and i think it was great falls to shoot a tournament and yeah. uh connor's my best friend and he's gay and um and you hadn't mentioned it to me before you know, i'd been that was my third year working with you and you know oh, really? wow. um you uh we were just like in conversation and you mentioned your boyfriend at the time and you turned to me and said um i date men too and i was just like okay <laughs> i was like cool <laughs> great so i was past the time where i was like i was like dalen we have to talk <laughs> yeah you were just like it was like kind of like oh by the way and then i was like all right like great <laughs> 
Um, yeah, you know, that's, that's a great story. It's funny. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so d- don't judge people's reactions because sometimes, you know, when you, when you surprise somebody with something, especially if they assume that you are a different way, uh, you know, they might not say the best thing. They might not say anything. Um, you know, uh, when I told my dad, he, he basically didn't say anything for about a week (laughs) and you know, like that was the hardest person. uh, Uh, Yeah. Everybody's going to react differently. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and then, you know, some people, they come back later and they say, Oh, well, you know, let's talk about this more, but a lot of, but most people, you know, they're not ready to say anything Mm -hmm. right away when you surprise them. Just be, just be, treat, treat them, treat them carefully. They haven't thought about it as much as you have. Um, only tell who you want. That's a really important thing. The, you know, the order of who you tell is not necessarily your family first or your church first. First person you tell should be somebody that you know is going to be okay with it because, because you don't need somebody to tell you you're wrong when you know you're right. You know, so tell somebody that you're comfortable with somebody that you trust and it's not going to blow it out of proportion or make some big deal out of it. Um, you know, and do it in whatever order you're okay with. Uh, if you get a bad reaction, which I definitely have, and which I think most people have uh, at least somewhere in their life, um, you know, it's gonna it's gonna hurt, it's gonna sting, it's it's gonna be really hard. This article said, you know, it might feel like your heart's been ripped out, um, and in some cases, you know, uh, it's it, it's scary because you know if you're if you're young and you're living with your your parents or something, there's a real risk of of you know or a real question about you know. Are they going to react so negatively that I'm going to get kicked out of the house? And there's a lot of organizations now, thankfully, that if you are kicked out of your house, you can call them. You can you can go on their website, and they actually will help you um, because that's it really was common in the past. It's somewhat common now. I've definitely met people where that happened to, um, and uh, and and when you're when you're deciding who to tell. Um, you have to take that into account. If you're dependent on someone, um, you might not want to tell them and it, and it might hurt and you might need to work on, um, you know, you might need to work on your personal situation to get out of that situation before you tell them. And, and so then that gives you a goal, you know, this, this much time I'll have enough to move out and live on my own. And then I'm going to tell them. And then, I don't know, my, in my, uh, experience at a certain point, you're just, you know, F it. I need to tell everyone like mm-hmm. accept it. Don't accept it. Like the, the, the worry outweighs the benefit. So at some point I think everyone reaches that um, with me, it was thankfully pretty quickly. Uh, it took me about six months um, to tell most people, although I think I told you later, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but yeah, for most people uh, it was about six months. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that was my time, but yeah, but there's no, you know, if you need to take a couple years to tell, say your parents that you're living with and you're, you know, 17 or something. Yeah. Do that because you want to make sure that you're in a safe place and you have something to fall back on. So yeah, that's it. Be yourself. Come out. There we go. That was great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Curtis, I know this one was very important to you and it was, you know, obviously personal for you. And I, I want everyone to know who's listening that physics. And if you look on the website underneath each episode, I have, the PDF of the show notes for every single episode and the amount of work that Curtis has put in to these shows and the amount of time and the amount of research that Curtis put into this series, just very, very well done. And I hope the people who listen, whether they listened out of curiosity, whether they listened to, you know, 
help you know confirm their thoughts or you know someone who listened to listen to a different perspective that they came away from this with the goal that um, or with the accomplishment that we try to put forth with the show of learning something new um, but Curtis just very very well done and I, I think all of our listeners listeners will think the same way well thank you I appreciate that but with that uh, yeah that's it for queer is history part three that was a uh, it's a long series, but I think we did a great job. Um, keep listening. Coming forward, we're going to be talking. We're going to be doing another three-part series focusing more on the trans community um, within the queer community. Um, now it's a four-part. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the first part of the series, we're going to be looking uh, more into the history of trans people, um, specifically within America. And then we've got three interviews actually coming up. So episodes oh goodness what would those be 11 and 12 we talked to uh two trans people we go over a lot of just social aspects we talk a lot about um actually the healthcare system and uh issues that trans people face within health and um we go over the great debate of uh jk rowling so if you've been keeping up on that and you have your own opinions listen in and uh, we'll see what someone who's actually trans has to say about it um, and then we will also be going further into um, actual gender expression and talking more about the drag community. Uh, with that, though, Curtis, Kara, do y'all have anything you want to plug for episode or part three of Queer's History? Um, I mean, I just basically wanted to say thank you to you two. Um, that you know, this 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 definitely is as you know, it's important to me as a queer person. But but you know, to you, I, it was great to that it was important to you you two as well. Um, as, and because so much of this is, is so often kind of just done as the quick spark notes and like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of all pushed into one hour or whatever. And I really appreciate that, you know, you were, we were able to, to work on this over a period of, you know, it's going to be into like seven episodes altogether yeah. between the two different things, because, uh, you know, a, a lot of the people that I've talked to over the years really feel marginalized, like especially trans people, they feel like they've been left behind. And so it's just really cool that that you know even though they're related we didn't kind of just shove everyone into the same the same episode and kind of called it a day like i really appreciate that the time and the energy that you guys are spending you know to to learn about this along with me and and get that information out there it's really important i agree it's very very important so i hope we i hope we did did well and uh, i hope we we did well by the people who are listening and i hope um yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the next episodes that we're recording. And the only thing I have left to plug is please, 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 please make sure you are registered to vote. Voting is coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Some states will be closing their <clears throat> the ability to register to vote. If you are out of state, request an out of state ballot. You can still do that. Um, yeah, it's important. It's your, we are very lucky to have the ability to vote. Not everyone does. So go ahead and don't wait. Don't wait until November. Do not wait Mm -hmm. until November. (laughs) Like you should be thinking about this way beforehand Mm -hmm. and making sure that, that you are registered, that, that, you know, you go on the web, there's plenty of websites. You can check your, uh, your status, your registration status, whether or not you're on absentee or if it'll be sent to you. Um, you know, there's always an office you can call, like really be proactive about that because there's so many people that get turned away mm-hmm. that want to vote because they thought of it the morning of and discover that their yep. state 
South Carolina example, um, doesn't allow them to vote to register on the same day. They, they should have registered 30 days before, you know, and all this mm-hmm. stuff. So learn your rules, look up the YouTube videos, every state, uh, the, the rules to vote, which is a great resource and, uh, and really just follow up on that. Mm. And if you don't know if you're registered to vote, it's super simple to figure out literally just Google, am I registered to vote? And it's like the first website and you just enter in a little bit of info and it'll tell you whether you are or you aren't. And if you aren't, it will give you the information to register to vote. Um, and if you want to tell us how we did on this series, go ahead and do yes, that by do. leaving us a review. Um, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, leave us a review. Let us know how we did. This is a big three-part series, and we're very proud of it. So let us know what you think. Uh, and go ahead and just give us five stars. Like, leave us a review saying whatever you want, but just give us five stars and that's that's all we ask for. Uh, but with that, like I said, we're going to be going into another three-part series on uh, trans people in America. So uh, stick around for that, and we'll talk to y'all later. Bye, everyone. Bye. Good night. Bye. Thank you for listening to Social Discord, part of the Podcast Without Borders Network. You can get a hold of us by sending us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. Thanks for listening.